Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe Weekly Podcast. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe thought we would last. Talking Joe is there. Find each other like a married couple. A podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe is the codename for a completely untrained special podcast force. Its purpose, to produce a regular comic review show while breaking and replacing a series of presenters from across the world. Talking Joe. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. We are on our soapbox. Nobody seems to care. Fighting for fandom wherever there's trouble. The podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 it's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the best and longest running dedicated comics podcast. Asterix, the one that comes out on a Thursday anyway. If you're new to the show, you can find all of the details over at the website, talkingjoe.co.uk. Today, we are continuing our look at the G.I. Joe disavowed era, The Devil's Due Run. And we are talking issues 20 and 21, a two-parter called Closure from 2003. So before that, let's uh, waffle on with a bit of chat with my co-hosts. First up, it's a real American Tim. It's Tim Finn. Hello, Mark, and hello, listeners. Hello, Tim. And rounding out our crew, it's G.I.J. It's Jay Cordray. Hello, G.I. Joe fans, and anybody else that's not a G.I. Joe fan, I don't know why you'd be here, but hello to you, too. A sense of familial loyalty, perhaps. Um, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Not, not my family. They don't care. But some of it, well, <laughs> mine are certifiable, so they could be listening. <laughs> so it's been uh, in our time, uh, it's been a month since we all got together. So uh, it's yeah, great to be back. But yeah, there's a whole bunch that's gone on. There was a uh, trailer for the Snake Eyes film that, that came out. One sentence reaction from you both. I haven't seen it because I wait until I'm in a movie theater to see trailers organically. But I will say, I was at a movie theater yesterday, and I really enjoyed just staring at the poster for a good four minutes. Because <laughs> you can't, because it, it takes your attention in a different way than scrolling through your computer or your phone if the poster came up as a JPEG and you're like, nah, or like, uh. <laughs> Very good. And uh, Jay? Well, I was a little more, nah, then. Uh, but yeah, I, I loved it. Um, I guess I really did. Uh, it, it looks, I don't know. I'm kind of not a big fan of, of the hyper action, you know, and the, the kind of, you know, John Wick kind of stuff. I, I hope that they don't go too much into that. But um, just the movie mm-hmm. itself uh, looks great. Other, otherwise, I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, some some nice action sequences that are teased in the in the trailer. But yeah. A, tra- a trailer can can you know be anything because it's yeah. uh, so so condensed. It's not always a massive indication of what to expect from uh, the film. So yeah, fingers crossed it will be good, and uh, yeah, look forward to it coming 
out. So that was the film. B, some big toy news. So yesterday was uh, Fan First Friday at time of recording. So there was a few bits of uh, news dropping there. Some uh, some new classified figures coming out. So we had a Commando Snake Eyes. We had Barbecue. We had Breaker and the Ram Cycle. And a new Roblox, Roblox version 4, if you count the repaints. Uh, you know, everyone's favourite. Where to begin? Uh, which one of these got your attention the most? I don't know whether for me it was uh, Roadblock, Breaker, or Snake Eyes. You know, we wanted we wanted Timber right from the beginning, and <laughs> they've got kind of got their order mixed up on some of these things. They they put the Ninja <laughs> Snake Eyes out first without Timber, and now they've put the Commando Snake Eyes out with Timber. Mm. But whatever, I'm glad we're getting Timber, and it looks great. The, the Timber figure looks really great. The, his face looks good. He's got like a couple scars on his eyes, I think. On yeah. one of them, and he's and got it, a whole bunch of articulation going on. Looking yeah. on, that, on that that video, that was hilarious. Just them crunching every point of articulation. Uh, I didn't so watch the nice. video. I'll have to try to find that. But I've seen a bunch of pictures of it. The pictures all look really great. Yeah. So so yeah, in the head, in the neck, in the midsection, at the kind of uh, bend in the knee, I guess, and then an an ankle, and uh, they turned him upside down, and, and it's even got um. It's even got paint deco for his the pads of his paws. Um, yeah, so I think the Snake Eyes was probably the the one for me. I didn't think that I'd be tempted to buy another Snake Eyes, but um, <laughs> yeah, with the with the Commando look plus Timber, I think it's uh, I think it's probably enough to to swing it for me. And you know what I like about this one too about the Snake Eyes is um, he's got two realistic looking weapons. I mean, one of them's an actual Uzi, so that's awesome. Um, and then he's just got the knife and no sword. But again, this is kind of weird. It's like the commando, the original one didn't have a sword. Um, mm. The one that came with Timber did have a sword. I don't know what they're thinking, but uh, again, I like the figure. <laughs> I like that we have a Snake Eyes without a sword because I feel like they just, I don't know, they rely so much on the ninja thing. You know, I want Snake Eyes mm. to be more of a commando who also happens to be trained as a ninja and has a little bit of a backstory. But um, anyway... That's after I said I can't wait to see the movie. I really like in the uh, in the Snake Eyes art how he's he's live. He's not super bulked up. Um, you know, sometimes like a Snake Eyes in the modern era is going to have a lot of sort of armor plating and like layers to a costume, and we see that I, I think in the movie poster, maybe the movie trailer. Yeah, um, the Snake Eyes art for this. Um, box coming with timber um, you know you see that quilted sort of sweater look from 1982 um, and uh, he he looks you know more more flexible and I, I appreciate that small detail yeah anything um, I, for me that goes back to the to the commando you know and more away from the ninja thing is I always like when they whenever they go that direction my big takeaway from the announcement with all these toys uh one i'm pleasantly shocked that there's a barbecue because (laughs) um i mean i kind of want to buy him uh, (laughs) because um i i don't know a lot of people who go around asking for barbecue i know Mm. people go around asking for everyone which would include barbecue Um, (laughs) and so 
you know, the, the, so the, I guess the surprise was always going to be when they move past the like the main 20 characters yeah. that are going to get released in sort of any version, like tiny die cast toys or like statues yeah. or figures. Um, I wouldn't have expected Barbecue to be high up on this list, mm. but I really like how uh, his color pops so much. So this will really stand out. You know, if you squint, classify, you know, Duke, Lady J, uh, you know, Roadblock, they've got these, you know, more like earth colors. And then you've got this orange guy and staying so true to the original. So that's a really fun surprise. And then I'm pleasantly surprised that uh, there are more vehicles coming. Yeah. So we've got um, a Ram coming, which um, uh, looks nice. It's got the removable sort of sidecar component and, and out of that comes the uh removable kind of mini gun as as well so it sort of can convert into uh, a, a weapon which uh looks nice and it, it looks like it's probably the same one that comes with the new uh roadblock as well so that roadblock is based on the v1 outfit complete with a uh, helmet Ba-doing-wing. and uh yeah it's sort of uh, a lot of enthusiasm enthusiasm for it i don't know that i'll necessarily seek out that figure myself just because i feel like uh probably one roadblock is enough in my collection um but yeah probably uh it's probably going to be the favorite one out of the the bunch he looks quite sort of shiny and sweaty i don't know if uh <laughs> if that's just me but uh i think that's just you mm, could be do you mean the, the <laughs> art or the or the photos of the, the figure the photos the, the figure just looks very um so glossy. I think that's down to the lighting. I don't. I don't mm, think yeah. small plastic men can can sweat. <laughs> <laughs> if there was one that could, it would be him. Uh, or would it be Gung Ho? Yeah. Didn't we? Uh, <laughs> didn't we talk about that? <laughs> I th- I think all of these figures look really great. I'm uh, I'm I'm surprised. Like I said in the in last episode, um, how faithful. The further along we get in the line, really, how faithful they are to to a lot of the um, the figures. That barbecue looks almost exactly like the original barbecue, almost exactly. Mm. And the same with this new roadblock. I mean, his helmet's a little wonky, but everything else is just perfect. I mean, these they you know the the first line they had the gold trim and their outfits were a little different stuff, and people were like, ah, you know, I don't know. There was a lot of that Sigma Six kind of aftertaste, I think, and. Um, you know, we weren't sure about it, but now, I mean, we're getting, you know, six inch reproductions of the three and three quarter inch figures, basically. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting closer to closer. Yeah. To that, definitely. For sure. With, uh, with these ones, all, all, all four of the ones sort of spotlighted, um, yesterday, plus I mean, to a degree, finally... major blood with a very, very yeah. close to, to their V1 figures, aren't they? Yeah. And we finally got a good gun, a good, uh, a good gun for roadblock. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and, the one that I didn't have any idea was coming and, and was a very, very nice surprise was a uh, breaker with the Ram cycle. Mm. I've talked to so many people, Joe fans in the last year, you know, whenever people say, Oh, what was, who was your first Joe? Well, you know, what was your first memory? I'd say at least half of them say uh, breaker with the Ram cycle. Oh, wow. And I think that that <laughs> must've been, maybe it was, uh, that was the way the first commercial was or something. It had to be something like that because that was the one that, that most people, I think, got first and, and got together. It's, I've heard that so many times. And I'm sure that the designers heard, heard the same thing. And that's why we've got the the two-pack coming out now, which is yeah. awesome. I love it. I, I can't wait to, to get it. Breaker was always one of my favorites. 
the ram cycle was great like this is my first one so this one yeah uh, i put it i put it down to, to john i put it down to john thurman appearing on uh, on our show and, and talking about it being his favorite that's probably what swung it that's probably it yeah, the, uh, the talking joe factor i, I think um <laughs> uh, uh, actually probably my favorite thing from the uh from the stream on friday was the reveal the full reveal of the major blood art um and the uh, and naming who the artist was was which is a, a uk artist called uh carl kapinski and uh yeah went down a rabbit hole of uh, okay. looking at, at his art um yeah he's he's incredible very much like um uh, the, and, and very much like kim um, kim jung gi who uh, yeah is a you know prodigious talent who's able to to sort of magic art uh, out of his brush and onto the pen without doing any uh, prelims and and he's very much in the same style uh, and level of talent and and also uh, i think um they know each other quite quite well um so so that's in, in, interesting to see so yeah i was uh, i was ordering his sketchbook uh, yesterday, I didn't. I didn't order any GI Joes on the back of the stream, but I did order uh, Karl Kapinski's uh, sketchbook off of his website. Uh, so yeah, there we go. I jumped on and ordered Amazon or I ordered Roadblock from Amazon. Like as soon as uh-huh. I found out that you could put the pre-order in for that, because definitely yeah. I want that. I think you said it was version four. Somebody said it was version four. It's not. This is this is version one. The other three don't count. They just don't <laughs> count. Uh, this is it. This uh, is the one we've been waiting for. And uh, leaking out uh, as well with some photos of some of the new retro figures. There's uh, Stalker and Cobra Infantry and Cobra Trooper who uh, have been snapped in the in the wild apparently. Um, yeah, so good to see more retro uh, line three and three quarter inch coming out. And also three and three quarter inch, but completely out of left field is the Super Seven stuff that that was also announced not on. Fan first Friday, but uh, via the, the various social media uh, leakages. Um, so yeah, that would be interesting to to see. So it's a kind of yeah an, another take on the Geo Joe brand, but at the scale that we're we're used to, but with just the five points for articulation. So might appeal to those uh, who like the Action Force brand from from the UK back in the early eighties uh, with with that. I think um, importantly might also appeal to people who are buying general retro mm. action figures like you know like Beetlejuice or Back to the Future or um, like Pulp Fiction. Mm. Someone who would never go to a store and buy a new GI Joe figure from Hasbro, even if it's a good figure, but you know with the with the, the smooth you know 1978 Kenner look of these yeah. reaction figures this gi joe is gonna is gonna pop differently scratch a different itch and and i suspect will allude more to the animation than mm-hmm. like the core toys or like the comic book uh potential for uh variation um uh, I, i'm always bummed by the price of the reaction <laughs> figures but i i understand that they're produced in smaller quantities and that you know once it's once something's for the adult collector you can probably quote get away with just tacking a couple bucks onto the price shall we talk about comics let's do it let's talk comics we're gonna talk about comics from devil's Jew. it's something you wanted if talking joe would ever do 
I guess we'll explain it all to you. Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read. Oh. So uh, we are talking issues 20 and 21. So uh, for the creative team for the story, Josh Blaylock. On 20, pencils are Brandon Bado and inks Andrew Pepoy. On 21, it's pencils Mike Zek, inks John Beatty. Colours, hi-fi colour design. Letters, dreamer design. Copy edits, Scott Whirl, graphic design, Mike Norton. And military consultation, Tillman Goines. Let's uh, see what's on the front of these books. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. So Mike Zek, pencils and inks, uh, a uh, connecting cover for 20 Mm -hmm. with cover commander and storm shadow facing left on 20 and then snake eyes and Billy facing right on 21. And the background is a, a yellow orange uh, burst and there's a whole bunch of debris um, getting pushed away to the left and right. Um, There is also a variant cover for issue Mm -hmm. 21, uh, which is very helpfully uh, in the back of 20 as the next issue full page blur. Love that. Uh, That's J. Scott Campbell. um, And uh, the colorist isn't specified, but I, I'm, I'm guessing it's hi-fi, mm-hmm. uh, although usually they sign their... Co- anyway, uh, and that's a, that's an exciting shot of uh, Storm Shadow attacking Snake Eyes while uh, Cobra Commander holds Billy hostage, and there's uh, sort of a similar yellow uh, bursty sunset behind them, mm-hmm. palm trees and some buildings. Um, it's really exciting to have Zek back on covers. His sense of anatomy is excellent, uh, his his action choreography and staging of of bodies in space, uh, his sense of composition. These covers don't have quite the same sort of zip and and uh, dynamism of some of his uh, most iconic covers from the 1980s. Uh, I think one, a lot of those or all of those were laid out by Larry Hama, so it was there was a, a different. Um, Influence and also two by two thousand three, the the sort of general rules for comic book covers had had changed in mm-hmm. the mainstream American comics. Marvel for several years was pushing a rule that uh, covers needed to just be a big shot of one character, even if it was a team book. You'd see this carryover in Avengers and X Men. Uh, and that made for images that did pop from far away, but didn't have any story and um, didn't ask a question necessarily. Um, so you have this, uh, you have this um, somewhat flat, right? There's no, there's no depth to this uh, cover of two characters and then two other characters. It sort of promises action, right? It's like who yeah. are who are the who are the most po- Cobra Commander, Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow, and then that that guy with the with the eye patch. <laughs> Um, I do like my, my, my thought for the J. Scott Campbell cover is uh, I like how much he packs into one image. But as with some of his other covers sort of from that era, I feel like there's a little bit too much of a compression of space that J. Scott Campbell, I feel like he's fitting here five characters 
just a little bit too close together for sort of how this scene would would actually have mm-hmm. to unfold. But to the extent that covers are exaggerations and compressions, and and it's not a literal scene, and it's not like people standing in a in a room, but ink on paper or pencil on paper, that's also fine. Uh, yeah, and I don't know if because um, most of the J. Scott Campbell images were were sort of have been reused on various trade paperback covers. I'm not too sure if this one uh, was, I mean, certainly outside of the context of issue 21, it doesn't make as much context as a general image because it is very story specific with, you know, Kamakura and and, and Billy particularly in in that uh, image. Um, If it had just been Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes and maybe Cobra Commander, you know, it is much more generic to G.I. Joe rather than story specific to, to this issue. Um, so yeah, it was nice to nice to see, and I was very gratified that they uh, used the uh, the image in the back of the book, which means that you could get the have you know have the 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 image and, and the picture without having to track down the uh, the individual variant cover. There was actually another variant to to issue twenty one, which was uh, called the Renegar edition. I don't quite know what Renegar means, but um, there we go. It, that's what it was called by uh, Michael Turner. And I think that was recycled at, at some point by IDW as, as well. And that features uh, Snake Eyes sort of swinging at um, Storm Shadow with Storm Shadow jumping in the air with his, his swords behind him and sort of Snake uh, Cobra Commander as a large head sort of floating in the background and yeah i know that uh, uh michael turner has got a very big fan following so so it would have been an issue that uh, has been was sought out and i believe has got quite a significant uh secondary market value the uh, main edition was limited to 2500 and uh, there was a foil edition that was limited to 500 there's there is one thing that i i don't like about these two covers and that's in the color Cobra, there's a lot of yellow and green in Cobra Commander on this cover to 20. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not blue. That's a blue aqua. And <clears throat> it doesn't look bad. It's not a mistake. But just as a style choice, it's not the blue that I would ever pick for a Cobra Commander. Um, the other thing that's happening in the color, and I, I actually don't understand it, is this looks like it was colored with markers. And the markers are bleeding on a textured paper. Uh, definitely this was colored by a computer. And so I don't understand where that's coming from. Certainly lots of comics of that era were colored with marker. And then the studio that was doing the digital files were using those marker or brush color guides to recreate that look in Photoshop. If you look at Storm Shadow's knee, where the red cobra is on his kneecap... There's some dark gray that's like fuzzing into the red. And then if you look under the red where the, the two dark gray or black straps on his, on his uh, calf, there's, there's some fuzzing, right? It's happening uh, along the yellow uh, detail of Cobra Commander's chest next to the buttons, right? It happens on, on Billy's uh, forearm where his like wrist dagger uh, holder is. And I, it, it reads as either a mistake or a strange stylistic decision and i know a lot of people don't like lean in and squint at their comics uh like i do um but i see this immediately when i look at this cover and it it comes across as messy 
Mm. I don't know. I think um, um, my guess is that they're trying to sort of cre- cre- create a kind of analog look to digital colors. And, and so having some small imperfections as part of that to kind of fool the eye, perhaps. Mm. I wouldn't expect that from, uh, from Hi-Fi. Yeah, the, the reason why it sticks out is that I have never seen this on any other comic book, whatever the, the color studio. So I, I hear your point, Mark. Um, and certainly a studio might have I don't know, three people, ten people. And, you know, everyone takes two pages and one person takes the cover and, you know, someone may show up for a little while and then get a job at a different studio. And this this if this effect may never appear again. Um, but it is it is not consistent with other comics of the day. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Get that. Jay, you want to talk about the back covers? <laughs> yeah, I, I like uh, all of them. The first one was Kamakura. That one. um I don't know. His face seems a little, a little strange, but uh, for the most part, I like it. I mean, I think Beck does a really good job, uh, like we've said, with uh, weaponry, stuff like that, um, mechanical things, gun handles, knife handles. That stuff all looks good. Um, his clothes are a little, little tight, you know, for what it would be, but colors, everything looks really good. I like that it's not just one color, like some of them that we talked about uh, recently, the Iron Grenadier one. The Billy one is all pretty much one color. I'm really torn on the Billy one. I mean, I, I, I you know, Billy gets a lot of hate from the, the fan community, but I've always liked him as a character. I never had any problem with him. This new Winter Soldier version uh, is <laughs> something to get used to. But uh, I, in a way, I was, you know, I was thinking about this cover earlier, the the back one uh, where he's standing in front of the the Cobra. Now we know in this, at least for now. And I don't know if that's going to change at all. Uh, he's not sided with the Cobras, but the big Cobras behind him. Everything about Billy is defined by the fact that his dad is Cobra Commander. There's mm-hmm. nothing that he would ever do in his lifetime that would ever make him be anything to anybody but Cobra Commander's son. So his entire existence basically is just loomed over by this huge shadow of the Cobra. And I think that the red coming off from that, spilling into the rest of the painting is... Uh, is awesome it's one of my favorite ones his face you know and the hair but just uh the feeling of the picture i think i appreciate more than anything it does look a little bit like he's just escaped from new york (laughs) yeah that could be too what do you think tim are you a fan of the of the billy cover yeah it's striking um the the um, clothing folds on his leg behind his downward arm are look more like a symbol and less like clothing folds. But uh, this is the composition is uh, strong and the color treatment is really striking. Yeah, Beck's. I don't know. Like I said, his uh, some of his clothing and stuff is his wrinkles and drapery we've seen in other covers. Like the flint one pops out to my head. Just his. Clothing folds are not his strong suit. But yeah, other than that, uh, I do like both those covers. like both the front covers really well. That Scott Campbell cover was nice. I wish that he would have done one for uh, issue 22. And no, no idea what Renegar is either, Mark. <laughs> um, cool. But um, yeah, these, these issues aren't just covers. Things happen on the inside too. 
and Jay is going to tell us about them. In a candlelit temple somewhere in Los Angeles, the Cobra Assassin Storm Shadow breaks free of Cobra Commander's mind control. Stealing a motorcycle from the Dreadnoughts, he escapes. In the High Sierras, Kamakura learns the ways of the ninja from Snake Eyes. On his way to Snake Eyes' cabin, Billy, the son of Cobra Commander, receives a phone call from Storm Shadow. Storm Shadow tells Billy only the Rashikage mindset can help him free from the commander's control. Billy arrives at Snake Eyes' cabin and convinces Snake Eyes to go with him to save Storm Shadow. Scarlet tells him she's not going with them. As Snake Eyes leaves, she takes off her engagement ring and drops it to the floor. Cobra Commander catches up to Storm Shadow and places him in a portable version of the Brainwave Scanner. Snake Eyes, Billy, and Kamakura arrive and a standoff ensues. Cobra Commander tells his men to lower their weapons. No one is going to shoot my son, he says, as he shoots Billy in the chest. Snake Eyes attacks Cobra Commander, but is stopped by Storm Shadow, who is once again under the Commander's thrall. Commander escapes to a crowded street as Storm Shadow stays to fight Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes attempts to put the Rashikage mindset on Storm Shadow again, but is stopped by the Dreadnoughts. Cobra Commander tries to flee in the Thunder Machine, but is pursued by Kamakura. Snake Eyes gets away just in time to see the Commander wreck the Thunder Machine. Snake Eyes attacks the commander in the middle street, but is once again stopped by Storm Shadow. Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow fight to a standstill and walk away. As Storm Shadow and the commander walk off in the distance, Billy spares a last look at his father before walking away with the two ninjas. Cobra Commander exits stage left, pursued by Kamakura. Um, I like it. So um, I think the best way of approaching these two is probably to, to look at them as two issues even though it's part it's one single story the the feel of the ish two issues is fairly distinct we've got very different art styles we've got uh, a very different approach to the story in terms of one is uh, a traditional dialogue comic and one of them is all silent uh with the return of one of the uh, gi joe greats on art so uh yeah if we start maybe with issue 20 being the uh the first one there some of uh, some of the previous plot points are, are slightly resolved here. So we know that now that the Joes had received a warning from Storm Shadow about the attack on the pit, and that the reason for that was that he had briefly escaped from his programming. So that kind of resolved that uh, that Storm Shadow attacking uh, the pit and and specifically Hawk and how the Joes knew uh, about that. So issue 20, how did you guys feel, Jay? I love this issue. I was just blown away uh, by Bado's artwork from the very first page. I mean, just the first panel. And mm. man, this is, I don't, I, I'm jealous of Josh <laughs> Blaylock being the writer of this book and being able at this time, because I know they probably still used FedEx for a lot of this stuff to open up that package and see what his story looked like. I mean, to me, this is just great. I, I make the book bi-monthly and, and let Bado do this every issue. The The whole issue just was phenomenal looking. Loved it. I, I agree. I think it's the the best art that we've seen from Bado and it's, um, uh, it's a good looking um, issue. We've got Inca Andrew Pepoy as the inker on on this uh issue and i wondered to what degree that that makes the the difference from from you know moving it to good to, to great um i think he's employing slightly sort of older dark killer darker more muscular inking to 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 the work which really makes the images pop would you agree with that tim 
Yeah, I, I did wonder, uh, sort of splitting that in half, one, what is the effect of having a different inker who uh, I think compared to the other inkers on the book um, had more experience? And two, mm. this is, I don't think this is the first issue, but this, this is the one of the few issues where there is just one inker on the book. And I wonder to what extent subtly that adds some consistency. Um, it feels like Bado had more time to work on this issue and the results are gorgeous. I really like this issue. And I finally figured out sort of what in the back of my mind, what his art reminds me of. And that's Steve Scross, mm. who had drawn- yeah, I was gonna say that. Who had drawn Good it more- He had drawn uh, Cable and X-Man uh, yeah. uh, during the Age of Apocalypse. And um, by this point he had, uh, uh, he had storyboarded the Matrix, the the movie, yeah. right, which helped the Wachowskis like sell it to Warner Brothers, and uh, he had uh, written and drawn some uh, Wolverine, and by then he'd even um, drawn uh, two whole issues of uh, Alan Moore's Young Blood before that series <laughs> ended, as yeah. every Young Blood series ends early. Um, so Scrooge, uh, and it's 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 early f- and late at the same time. Bedos. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, faces and eyes, and there's there's something about how he he's ink, uh, penciling to be inked, sort of the shadows around like muscular big people, and and his his earliest issue when I think I referred to Bart Sears, the sort of like hefty muscular mm. quality of his faces and and characters. I think that's what I was actually reacting to. What I think is this uh, Steve uh, Scrooge influence. So uh, the issue motors. So not only, as Mark said, does this uh, capitalize on some plot threads that were set up in earlier issues, um, not only does it focus on characters that uh, a lot of us care about more, as much as I love every Joe, uh, you know, if like Bazooka is going to be overweight, like that just makes me sad and I actually don't want to read that scene. Uh, and, you know, this this is capitalizing, this issue and this arc is capitalizing on the emotional heft that got built up over 12 years of the marvel run because of cobra commander billy snake eyes storm shadow and and scarlet and even timber to that uh, uh, uh to some extent so there's also um some really beautiful if you like the aggressive 2003 style of coloring there's some really beautiful coloring in this issue um the opening scene by candlelight with storm shadow uh, the scene in the High Sierras right after mm. it, um, where you know the moon is like thirty times brighter than the real moon, and it's like two hundred feet over <laughs> them. Like that's not how I would color uh, that scene, um, but it's 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 really pretty. Um, and you know, there's, there's even still some dreadnoughts, and there's there's even a reference to uh, Doctor Mindbender and the Neo Vipers. So Blaylock is well mostly capitalizing on stuff he set up and that was set up in the Marvel run uh, and, and trying to do something about, you know, the Marvel run ending with Storm Shadow uh, zapped by the brainwave scanner, right? One of the great, you know, unresolved plot threads of the Marvel run, which then did get picked up, um, you know, in the IDW run when, when that series continued. But uh, Blaylock, Blaylock has a lot to work with for this issue and works with a lot. Um, and and it moves fast, right? A lot happens in every page. 
Um, there's good action. There are a couple surprises, you know, like the helicopter and uh, like I love that bit with the um, the the three uh, like gang members or like bad guys who mm-hmm. are about to like beat up Storm Shadow or mug him or take his motorcycle, and then one of them sees that it's a Dreadnought motorcycle, and they leave him alone. Like that's great. Mm, yeah, and on on your point on color as well, what what you know what you can see is is that color is being used to really inform well be informed by and help set the scene and then when you're transitioning from scene to scene particularly that contrast of uh, storm shadow sitting in that temple illuminated by candlelight then moving to the high sierras at you know is that dusk just really really looking different and really helping inform that that sense of place um you know we're we're getting probably the best colors that we've we've seen on the series so so far um in in this issue i do want to point out um there are some small weaknesses to this issue um as as wonderful as bado's art is and some of these pages are you know the the best pages of this series and some really gorgeous gi joe pages ever there are pages where either uh, he doesn't have as much time or he's not putting as much into it, right? Like the page where uh, Billy shows up at Snake Eyes and Scarlet's home and then some Cobras talk on the bottom of the page, right? Like that's not an exciting page compared to some of the other other things that's happening. But there's also no excitement to how Bado draws any of that. Um, and then similarly... The color is working the same way. Mark, you make a great point about um, color palette and treatment changing per scene, right? Like nighttime, daytime, and place. Um, but, you know, there's these these three pages or these four pages where um, Snake Eyes and Storm Sh- uh, Snake Eyes and Scarlet and Kamakura are inside and then Billy shows up and Snake Eyes puts on his uniform and then Scarlet is upset. You know, the coloring in those four pages, one does not look as good as the like fourth to last page with Cobra Commander and the Crimson Guards coming down the stairs and then the final page, right? Like clearly those two pages at the end of the book were done by the same person who's going all out. Mm. But, you know, not 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 as exciting as the rest of the book and also just not exciting for this scene. And I know this scene doesn't need exciting color, but what I mean is like enthusiastically approached color, right? It's not, there's there's no need for dramatic lighting in the scene, but... The colors in these four pages, eh? <laughs> yeah, for me, possibly those those four pages, the you know, feel a little like the the biggest misstep of uh, of these two two issues. That that Scarlet being, you know, doing a bit of henpecking, really saying, you know, you can't go out and and save your uh, sword brother, whatever you would want to to call it. You know, they, she's. She's aware of the strength of their their relationship, and um, you know I'm not happy about this. Our life life has re- revolved around this for too long, um, etc. You know she's she's not wanting them to be drawn back into the whole uh, storm shadow shenanigans. Does that feel like Scarlet's reaction, or would she be you know being more more likely to be angry that that um, Snake Eyes wants to go and do it on his own and 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 she wants to tog up and get involved herself. She would absolutely join him. So this is out of character. And also 
I have mentioned this before. Once again, there's a woman crying yeah. in the Devil's Do G.I. Joe. Um, I think the page, the fourth page of this scene where where she pulls the ring off her finger and throws it, that's a good page of comics. I like that Blaylock slows down once again to have a near wordless page and to really uh, pour it on with the emotion of this one uh, gesture. Um, but it's it's not a it's not a G.I. Joe page for this character. Mm. And and your previous nitpick about the size of the the ring back in issue 14 has rung through the ages into uh Bado's <laughs> ear and he has really wanted to emphasize this is a ring here it is <laughs> close up don't miss the ring a couple of days ago i was thinking about this podcast and and you know how we were going to talk about this issue and, and i thought i think when mark asked me what my thoughts are right off the bat and i totally forgot about this i was going to say can we just all agree to not talk about Scarlet in this issue? <laughs> I mean, you're you're both so absolutely right. There's no there's no scenario where Scarlet would not be gearing up and, and putting quiver or putting, you know, bolts in her in her crossbow quiver while Billy's telling the story. She's going. She's she's going. I mean, they're, they're, those are wolves. They can take care of themselves. Uh, she's not going to stay home and she's not going to bitch at snake eyes at all. She'd be like, let's go. We got, we got things to do. And this is like the scene in, in the other issue where she runs up to snake eyes in the middle of the battle and, and they kiss. And uh, Tim said, no, that's not what they do. And it's not, it's not what they do. It's not what snake eyes and Scarlet do. They don't have petty fights like this. They, they go kick ass. I have a little solution. Imagine, these two pages where he's suiting up and she's not. And she says, I'm not happy about this. And then she, she tosses a ring. Imagine if it was the same dialogue, but she's also suiting up. And maybe instead of tossing the ring, she's like fingering the ring, right? Yeah. I think that would still be a little out of character. But then you can have the tension of her being upset and, and the tension of like duty versus love and family, which... Which, you know, like can be a theme in this new G.I. Joe that takes place seven years after the Marvel run, but um, not not what she would do as depicted. Mm. So yeah, she I think we can is all agree the, on that. the mother of wolves. Um, <laughs> have some uh, Game of Thrones <laughs> illusions there. Perhaps. I mean, it's also, got... uh, um, uh, I, think, I think all three of, like, she, it's not just that she's a Joe. She's one of the original 13. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like this is like Barricade or uh, Robo Joe, you know, where like, you know, it's like no one's favorite Joe. And also in our minds, as loyal as they are, they joined the team later. Right. Like, no, yeah. she's she's invested in Cobra Scarlet. Commander and Storm Shadow. And there's not any fan fiction about Snake Eyes and Robo Joe being a couple, is there? Uh, I think there's some uh, fan fiction about Snake Eyes and Barricade, though, going on uh, <laughs> okay. a DEF mission together. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah, the, I was going to say the wolf The wolf there is uh, Dojo uh, with its uh, wolf puppies. So uh, moved on from, uh, from Timber in this uh, continuity. But isn't Dojo a Ninja Force, Joe? Yes, yeah. So is that yeah. an oversight or they is it named after uh, like one of their human teammates or did that human teammate die off panel and this is a memorial? I'm going to name my wolf after my friend, my Ninja Force friend. Well, there's a, a whole different story where where he got transformed into a wolf. 
Uh, wow. Maybe. Wow. Maybe in the cartoon. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Or, mm. you know, we saw it happen with a killer whale. So. <laughs> oh, right. I always forget about that episode. Uh, anyway, about this comic. That one um, was crazy. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that I I can imagine uh, Jay thinking and saying uh, in a good way. Uh, that is a fine looking motorcycle, Brandon mm-hmm. Bedeau. Yeah. This this page where uh, Storm Shadow steals the motorcycle. Motorcycles are hard to draw. That's a great looking uh, motorcycle. Um, I have I have two sort of s- storytelling uh, questions uh, involving this scene where. Thrasher bursts mm. into this uh, like boardroom meeting of Cobra Commander Zanya Zartan and the Crimson Twins. Can um, I can can you oh, yes. hold can you hold that thought? And I've got a storytelling question about. It. I don't know if it's going to cross over into to your thought, but about the previous scene that we've got um, uh, Thrasher with alongside uh, two other random dreadnoughts, Turtle and Squealer. Um, who are both taken out by by Storm Shadow, and they are in Mufti uh, in that in that scene. I think Thrasher has helpfully got a name tag, which is the devil's due way <laughs> of making sure you realise who a character is when they're in a slightly unconventional costume. But yeah, I'm not too sure how I feel about that that, that aspect of having the characters in in Mufti, particularly when it's a such a short sequence. I think in terms of the clarity it might help the reader if they were just in their dreadnought gear and Thrasher was still, it was in his regular Thrasher dreadnought uniform and then that carries through into the into the next scene. I, I get what they're trying to do is that they're trying to say that, yeah, these are characters with lives of their own and then they don't live and die in their toy costume, you know, because as a regular person, you would wear other clothes. The pro- The problem here is that if he's running off to tell Cobra Commander the terrible news to give mm. him the dire warning, why would he take the time to put on his dreadnought costume before bursting into the boardroom? True. My storytelling issue here is that um, the dialogue and the staging make it pretty clear that uh, these three dreadnoughts are coming into the garage where Storm Shadow is already inside. But we don't really we don't really properly see uh, Thrasher and the other two like in the doorway, like opening up the door and like some of the inside of the garage in front of them and also some of the outside of the garage behind them. We Mm. sort of see one or the other. And then the panel on the page turn where those two guys get killed by uh, Chinese daggers, the background is sort of an orange, which is like an old coloring effect where when something exciting or violent or angry happens, the background or the whole panel is like yellow or red. But this just sort of looks like suddenly it's like daylight. And mm. uh, the, you know, this is like at, at nighttime, all the outside is very blue and the inside of the garage is very mm, blue, gray. And then the panel where this well-drawn uh, motorcycle where Storm Shadow is driving away and there's all this uh, uh, dust it's kicking up and Thrasher is running, turning around and running. I don't need to see two dreadnoughts dead on the ground for the sake of seeing like dead guys, but to add closure to this story point that Thrasher came in with two guys, they both just got felled. And then I guess they're on the ground behind Mm -hmm. the dust and we don't see them. But again, it's this sort of separation of like, 
wait, is Thrasher actually inside this garage? Like, where is he? Is he outside the garage? Did they cross the threshold of the garage? Um, and I think uh, as as wonderful as Beto's art is here, um, his storytelling could still benefit from pulling the camera back a little bit mm-hmm. now and then and showing more of the scene and also putting the camera high and aiming it down. There are several panels in this issue where he draws something straight on, which in terms of perspective is easier, mm. um, but doesn't get the storytelling as clear or as dramatic as it could be. Yeah, I think there's one panel which which for me could do with a slight tweak, which wouldn't have taken too much, but would have helped. And that's the, the one where the garage door is beginning to, to lift up. If that had been one single panel instead of a close-up of the motorbike you know with the keys in the ignition which i think is unnecessary you saw all three legs under the uh, garage door as it's lifting up that would help sort of you know you have the connection into the next panel the storytelling would be a bit more clear and if thrasher were in uniform Mm -hmm. then we would very clearly know like his boots his torn pants Mm -hmm. sure and and that word balloon i sort of did a you know bit of a double take at the time sort of trying to figure out what that was where it's saying don't care none anyway know what i mean and that's you know who's that pointing towards because it could quite easily be coming from from storm shadow i thought if that is more distinctly coming uh up to the edge of that uh the, the kind of the lip of the garage door coming up and then sort of squared off and it's clear it's sort of actually it's leading the 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 fine bit of the tail is actually underneath the door and, and sort of sitting behind so it's leading you eye. yeah it's coming from behind the door makes yeah. sense yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, before I jump into this boardroom scene, Jay, do you have any do you have any storytelling uh, clarity comments on the issue? The uh, yeah, you're right. When I was you know reading this the first time, and I got to that panel where he's driving away on that motorcycle, I just about lost it. I was like, "Holy cow! Look at that motorcycle!" <laughs> um, and and a second sighting, Tim, of the cheese sculpture. This time behind <laughs> Storm Shadow's stolen motorcycle yeah this one looks sort of less like a cheese sculpture more like a like a mocha whipped cream sculpture yeah something like that's not quite as shiny <laughs> but yeah there's uh this issue is just great there's um i'm looking at the page you know still with the with the motorcycle him driving away and yeah having that top panel colored like that just doesn't really it doesn't work very well i mean everything about it, it looks like it's a, a, almost a completely different thing because with the change in the background it also changes the color of everybody's clothes mm. you know and that doesn't look like thrasher i mean thrasher i don't know what how you would describe him i thought he had didn't he have a like a skunk stripe in his hair which yeah this is seven years later he might not have that now but that guy looks like uh i don't know he's on a bowling team or something if uh if the whole panel was just uniformly yellow or orange or red with no gradients, yeah, we would have more of a reaction. Yeah, of like oh, this is a comic book thing, not yeah, a like yeah. light daytime light thing. Yeah, I had exactly the same thought. Um, and Thrasher's hair as well. It's sort of, um, I, I think it, it's it's made obvious on the book who it, who it is. He's got his name tag and he transitions into his, his <laughs> uniform in just a couple of pages. But um, he, he I, I could also, have still used I was the read- name tag. Yeah, when, when uh, he's yeah, he's not got a name tag in his in when he's in his regular outfit. Um, but, when he comes um, through the door, I was like, "Who's that?" I mean, that doesn't look like Thrasher's normal uniform either. Not that what the Dreadnoughts wear is a uniform, but you know I, I, I mean. think I, are are you are you consulting um, battle 
Battle Files? Is this no, the, is this, no, the this canon? is probably the new one. This is probably the new Thrasher uniform. And yeah, you got to you got to do your research, Jay. <laughs> uh, but also, um, um, sneak I just peek. like the cl- cl- classic Thrasher. Is that so wrong? Yeah, I was going to say Sneak Peek too had green hair as well. So, so I thought that was another reason to to make it a little bit clearer. I think there's no good reason that he can't just be in his dreadnought uniform. But let's All leave right. it on that. We've said I it. Wanna, <laughs> I want to I want to talk about this boardroom scene. Okay, yes, so this is kind of All funny. Right. All right, so um, I, I really something that Blaylock does, which I like, uh, the one, two, three, fourth panel of the scene, Thrasher delivers the bad news, right? Uh, Storm Shadow just killed two of my guys, two of our guys. And there's this panel where Cobra Commander just says one thing, one word. He says, what? And I really like that. That's a good punctuation, right? Is he panicking? Is he disbelieving? Is he just really irked that he's being interrupted by what Thrasher thinks is bad news, but actually isn't that bad. Okay, so uh, so you turn the page, and and there's... All right, so uh, uh, Cobra Grander, we'll continue this later, and then uh, I guess Tomax says, never a dull moment. And then you turn the page, and there's a, there's a, a caption that says, soon, which feels like 15 minutes or two hours later. And... Uh, nothing has changed. Everyone's in the same position. But suddenly there's this like piece of equipment on the table. And Zanya says, what the heck is that? And Tomax says, this is how we keep Storm Shadow in line. And then he explains it's a portable brainwave scanner. I don't understand why we had to jump ahead like 20 minutes or two hours. Like Thrasher's still seemingly standing in the doorway. It's like either he would have like run back out to like tell the news to the other Dreadnoughts or he would have, I don't know, taken a seat so let's just remove this one caption box that says soon. I think it's there because this piece of equipment has suddenly arrived. But you could also just have drawn it there in the first place or like have Tomax or Zaymot like pulling it out of a box on the page turn where Zanya could say like, oh, what, what are you pulling out of that box? What is that? Um, okay, so my other, my other half of this sort of storytelling thing I don't understand is um, they explain it's a portable brainwave scanner. And Tomac says, although it only works on form of patience of the old model. And Cobra Commander says, still, Storm Shadow did a lot, breaking uh, control. And then Thrasher takes the piece of equipment, and he says, let me take a look. And Cobra Commander says, please don't delude yourself into thinking that you could possibly understand the working of that machine, workings of that machine. Thrasher says, you're right, I'd probably find out how to make it into a cannon for the Thunder Machine before I'd figure out how it works. And then in the final panel... Like the camera is pointing specifically up at some like wiring in the back of this little device and Thrasher's pointing to it. And he says, but these spliced wires might have something to do with it. And I I get the general story beat here that Thrasher is solving a problem and demonstrating that he's smarter and more technically savvy than Cobra Commander or maybe everyone gives him credit for. I don't fully understand what problem he's solving. Is he solving the problem that this brainwave scanner only works on some people, not everyone? Or is he solving a problem that hasn't been explained that like just two of the wires are like spliced? So I I, I don't actually understand what I'm, what the story beat is here. So they're saying that that storm shadows uh, brainwaving is wearing off and he's breaking free of it. And you know, there's going to be a reason for, for that. 
And what I think they're saying is that the wiring on the device that they're using to top up is rainwashing is is due to the fact that they've put the wires in wrong. And so that's that means that it's, uh, it's faulty and not giving him the required dosage of brainwashing, which is why he's been able to escape from it. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. I, I, I was in that direction, but I feel like the, the dialogue doesn't, I, I need my hand held a little bit more, not because I'm dumb and I don't understand. Like, <laughs> like I, under, I understand everyone listening. I understand that this portable rainwave scanner is not as powerful as the regular one and they want to do something about it. But I feel like there's a there's like a line of dialogue missing from Cobra Commander or Tormax or Zaymot or like a greater sense of their doubt that Thrasher is sophisticated mm. enough to fix this or the problem is actually more complicated and it's not as simple as him just looking at it and saying, you idiots, you have these wires crossed. Like, I think the emotional payoff of like, yeah, Thrasher's better than you thought. It's like, wait. You all didn't understand that your portable brainwave scanner had a wire spliced? Like, I, I guess I guess what he's really saying is, like, split. Like, splicing a wire is connecting two wires that aren't yeah. connected. Yeah. Uh, what I see here is a wire that's split into three wires. And they're just drawn, like, RCA ins on the back of a VCR. Yeah, I don't see anything so, spliced. Yeah, yeah, so, again, the the, like, sort of emotional and logic payoff of this problem that gets solved, not fully clear. <laughs> yeah but that worm's eye view of sylvester stallone there is perfect <laughs> uh we, we should note that the original thrasher figure is uh it, the like his likeness is based um uh, on a hasbro employee named dave kunitz oh. um and uh and then another uh, ozone later on uh ozone is also sculpted in dave kunitz's likeness because the Very thrasher cool. figure only kind of looks like Dave Kunitz and Kunitz was there for a long time. Uh, and maybe, maybe the only uh, Hasbro guy who had uh, one and a half figures, not just one sculpted <laughs> in his likeness. I don't mean like a version two. I mean a different character. Um, okay. So here's, here's another thing that um, wasn't confusing. Didn't, didn't make me upset, uh, but I feel like missed opportunity. So storm shadow is on the run and he bumps into these three guys uh, who are going to, like, steal his motorcycle. And then they see that he's a Dreadnought or it's a Dreadnought motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And they back off, which I think is a cool scene. And then uh, Storm Shadow bursts into this door, uh, doorway. And, again, Bado is doing all these close-ups or these, like, long shots and medium shots that are really crowded. So really know where storm shadow's headed uh so the there's this uh the page after the helicopter reveal storm shadow is like kneeling or crouching and his hands on the doorknob and he's going right and then ngh and he's trying to like either steady himself against a door or a building or like Mm. actually go into this room and I, I can't tell what kind of building this is. Is this like a martial arts dojo? Is it like a storage locker? Is it a safe house? Is it like a regular apartment? Is it a little business? Is it the back door in an alley of a business? I can't tell because um, I don't get enough of a sense of the building and the like parking lot alley, whatever it is. So he does break into this doorway after those three guys get scared off. And there's some nice color work where through the doorway, I can see outside is still like pink and orange and inside it's all blue and green 
because it's inside and there's a like a, a computer monitor or whatever. And there's this guy. There's this guy at the computer with a mustache and he's wearing a uh, like Japanese martial arts uniform, right? Like the like the black shirt and pants that I've seen like martial arts guys wear in movies. And he says, Tommy? Tommy Reshikaje? And uh, Storm Shadows collapse on the floor and he says, help, it's coming. I don't know who that guy is. And two pages later, almost as an afterthought, when Cobra Commander and three Crimson Guardsmen barge in, one of them, like, knocks him out. So the the intervening page where the helicopter lands, Snake Eyes, Kamakura, and Billy are going to, like, go rescue Storm Shadow, this guy with the mustache has four panels to, like, put Storm Shadow in bed and put a cool uh, towel on his forehead and not say anything. Storm Shadow gets all the dialogue for those four panels. So, again, I don't know who this guy is. And, like, is is he a local business owner? And, like, Arashi Tommy has helped him? Is he, like, part of the clan? Is he, like... Uh, like a sort of a, an embedded like G.I. Joe informant. And and I'll jump ahead to issue 21. Like we see him in one panel, like unconscious, because 21 picks up a moment later after 20. But like, I don't know who this guy is. And I really want to, or I don't think he should be in the story. Yeah, I guess, I guess there's, yeah, they, they've introduced him, but but figuring that he's not, not important. My take is that his hideout because he, he tells um, Billy where he's going. He's going to uh, Crenshaw Boulevard, C- Crenshaw Boulevard, the video arcade in uh, Los Angeles. And so um, my take is that uh, Tommy is going, uh, bursting in through the back door of the video arcade. And this guy is probably the arcade manager or, or some such. It's, you know, it looks a bit, like a back office he's you know at the computer there's a there's a safe there there's a there's a calendar on the on the wall so it doesn't you know it doesn't look like a sort of publicly available space in a in a store or, or whatnot so it's probably the back office and this guy must be yeah a, a contact of of tommy you know who he's arranged uh previously that that he'll help him out if he if he needs to to have somewhere but who he is actually isn't that important it's more about you know having the having the space and, and not having it filled with uh exposition because in the in the grand scheme of things this this character is uh yeah not not significant to the plot so i i think in the rules of writing since this character doesn't get named his importance you have to assume based on a little bit of context and like other movies and comics that you've seen and read, Mark. I, mean, I appreciate your, your your breakdown. That helps, and I think that's all correct. But I think in the rules of writing, this guy shouldn't be in the story, and Storm Shadow should like burst into this back room and like drink some tea or like put on a meditation tape mm. and like sort of heal himself for four panels before. Yeah, they could they could tell exactly later. the same story without having this guy. Because how many times in G.I. Joe comics from other writers for a page or a whole issue have we met some, like, contact, uh, negotiator, like, CIA agent, like, local uh, guide, kid, business person, freedom fighter, right, 
who's like not going to show up again, never going to get a toy, doesn't have a cool name or costume, but we like immediately think that they're awesome because they're capable. They get named and what they do gets explained and then they do it. Mm. Mind you, you did say that his towel was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This guy's file card says uh, wet toweler. Um, uh, uh, primary, uh, secondary, secondary, uh, military specialty, uh, business management because he there runs the arcade. There you go. He's also, the business manager for the arcade. Also, I gotta say, uh, uh, I, I guess, I guess we do see the arcade in the next issue, but it's, don't tease me, Josh Blaylock. If, 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 <laughs> if Joe's or Cobra's are going to go to an arcade, don't show me the back. Show me the front. We do see the front later on. And we probably never see any like real arcade games, like. Pac-Man, uh, Afterburner, uh, anything correct. Cool like Correct. There, there are some uh, funny substitute names uh, in issue 21, which we'll Let's get to, get in, to a, that in a moment. In a second. Um, I was just going to talk to one of the other small scenes where uh, Tommy is uh, calling up Billy on his 2003 flip phone. And so it's ringing, biddy biddy, and Billy answers in his cool ninja way, yellow. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> And then, uh, and then Storm Shadow is Billy. It's Tommy. I uh, need your help. Storm Shadow, what's going on? So it's, Tommy introduced himself as Tommy and, uh, and Billy is, is clearly, you know, sees their relationship on a slightly different, more formal footing. <laughs> oh, Storm Shadow. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> but I love this. I love that Storm Shadow's in trouble. He's trying to, to to break free, you know, and he's having these little lapses of clarity. Mm-hmm. So he calls Billy and he says, Billy, I need help. Come find me here. The, 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 the part that kind of, you know, ruins it for me a little bit is, like I said earlier, I could do I could like tone the ninja stuff down a little bit. So the whole I need someone to put me into the Arashikage mindset. I don't know. Ninja bullet. It's all the time, G.I. Joe and Ninja Bolt. Not, not my favorite part of the story. But other, other than that, everything else is really cool. And I, like, I do like that um, it, it appeared that Billy was already on his way to Nate Guys' house. Yeah, Probably he was yeah, going to help train uh, Kalankura. He was pretty much at his doorstep yeah. already when, yeah. when he picked up the phone by the looks of things. But I kind of I, thought when I was doing the summary, sorry, Tim, that uh, he gets the call from Storm Shadow and... Maybe Billy can't do that, so he has to go to Snake Eyes because only Snake Eyes can do that. I don't know. Again, that's it's good, the whole mindset. Yeah, that's thing. a good point. Mm. Um, yeah. I think Jay, following up on uh, sort of a little too much ninja stuff in that bit of dialogue where Storm Shadow says, "I need you to put me in in the in the the mind thing." Um, <laughs> I think that that's what needs to happen is good and jumping ahead to 21 that snake eyes tries it i think that's good i think it comes across as a little gimmicky when someone who's like not a ninja like refers to it or when when storm shadow is asking for it as if it's like a special power up in a video game or like an (laughs) an accessory like an accessory with the toy it's like oh if you can take off his hands and like put on the other pair of hands that are like together and making a triangle. It's like, Oh, the storm shadow action figure can like do the Arashikage mindset. So I think next variant, I think this, this, this story beat needed to be less hit over the head in terms of dialogue or 
like Storm Shadow wouldn't ask for it. He would just be like, you know, N N N G H ing, yeah. like, and then Billy would like run into Snake Eyes's house and be like, I just talked to Storm Shadow. Uh, he's flipping out, and then Scarlet could say like, "Oh, Snake Eyes, do you need to?" And the Snake Eyes would nod, right? And then it just happens in the next issue. I think mm. it, this needs to be a little bit more shown and a little less told, not because it's clearer, but because it's um, less gimmicky that way. Yeah, but other than that, again, loving it, loving the artwork, the panels with the Jeep, especially, I think are really nice. The the panel there with Storm Shadow leaning on the phone, body language is really good. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna change my mind. Uh, I think it actually does need to say. I think it does need to get said out loud, because yeah. people are reading this book who haven't read the Marvel book mm-hmm. or who hadn't read like the two issues in the Marvel run where the mindset does happen, and when it happens in the next issue, twenty one, it's wordless. So oh, for yeah. for mm-hmm. introducing this concept to readers i think it does need to get said aloud but maybe it'd be stronger if like scarlet said it rather than if storm shadow asks for it or if billy suggests it rather than storm shadow asks for it um in terms of the the seven year gap i i I do like the first two pages of uh storm shadow meditating and breaking free it's really powerful he Mm. tears up there are all these uh, candles there's this giant buddha right the scene has a lot of heft but uh i i, I don't know that it entirely i don't know about this payoff where you know seven years have passed for some characters it seems like kind of no time has passed at all for other characters it seems like a lot of time has passed and then for other characters time has passed but we're sort of not going to worry about it <laughs> and i feel like uh, this isn't fair. I feel like there needs to be an issue, a flashback, a miniseries where it's like, what was Storm Shadow doing for seven years under the thrall of Cobra? And since those may not be fair to ask for, I think I need somewhere in the last 21 issues either more attempts of Storm Shadow trying to break free on his own or like him on a mission for Cobra Commander or some dialogue where he admits to, I don't know. Again, I, I like these first two pages, but I, I feel like I feel like Storm Shadow breaking free, as dramatic as that is, it is in this showdown at the end of the issue, I feel like that sort of needed to be more addressed or like tied off in the intervening seven years. That it's it just it's just too long and too it's too much for us to not know like all the terrible things he's been doing mm. under the thrall of Cobra Commander since then. And since we don't, when he tears up on a, spa- uh, 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 a full page splash and announces to us that he's free, it's like, okay, I guess. It's like, oh, right. Well, he's like shown up three times already. And he and Storm Snake Eyes had that fight with the elevator and the face slash. Yeah, I'm thinking, you're making me think of um, the Winter Soldier now and, uh, you know, in the depiction of that in the in the films and, and in the in the recent um, TV show, sort of the the toil that it, it it took on Bucky in terms of all of those things that he did while he was sort of under the control of, of the brainwashing that that he can kind of remember and you know that it, it, yeah it's taken a, a toll a mental toll on him that that you know as as with. Bucky working for Hydra, who, whoever you know, doing some terrible things during those years. That for, for Storm Shadow, presumably, there's much the same that he's 
he's done some you know, pretty bad things for, for Cobra and, you know, that's going to come to the surface. And in terms of Devil's Due having an opportunity to tell that story, right? A couple years later, there is a monthly Storm Shadow comic. Mm. But by this point, issue 20 and 21, G.I. Frontline has started publishing. The first four issues um, have now come out. And this is not the story that that arc told. But that arc, written by Larry Hama, meant to bridge what happens after the Marvel run and before the Devils do run. And of course, you can't do seven years in four issues, right? You couldn't even do seven months in four issues. But there has been a publishing opportunity already to tell a story in the Devils do continuity of what happens after issue 155. And I haven't read Frontline, that first arc, in two years. I did reread it in, in 2019. Uh, Storm Shadow's not in it, as I recall. So... I, maybe I just need issue 20 to be like double sized, right? And we can get more amazing Brandon Beto art and we can intercut with some flashbacks of Storm Shadow doing terrible things. I'd be all right with that. Yeah. As great as this splash page of Storm Shadow saying is, uh, I'm free. I do have an error detected on that particular page. Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. And that is that his um, fancy throwing knives are facing inwards to his uh, his legs, uh, and later on they are facing outwards. Um, so they're yeah wrong way round, I think on on this panel. But um, yeah, I can yeah I can see how that is easily done by by the artist. Sorry, I've got I honestly just thought they were sitting there. I didn't think they were on his legs. Yeah, late, later on when he's in the in the garage. You can see them sort of on his on his shins with the handle pointing away, and and that's where that's where he would have gone down to reach the knives and throw them at those two uh, two generic dead dreadnoughts. And then in the next panel onwards, <laughs> when he's on his bike, the uh, the handles of those uh, throwing knives uh, are nowhere to be seen because they are lodged in dreadnoughts and no no longer in his boots. He didn't get those back from the dreadnoughts. What a what a great splash page that is! I love the mat. Yeah, I was just looking at the page where where he, Storm Shadow says that he's free. The little touches in there really make it nice. Look at the mat that he's sitting on. You know, you know that it's something different because it's kind of bumped up there, and it's just a, a nice little touch. Everything in this issue looks so great. Those bricks look great. Yeah, the, the inker <laughs> on this was was fantastic. I don't. They should have got him along earlier. Did you see the pencil? Did you send me the, the pencils for this page, Mark? That's right. Uh, it was, was it that page or the, it was page one or page two had the pencils and the ink side by side. It was this one, yeah, I think. Page two. Yeah, it was. Man. Page two. Very tight, very tight pencils. I mean, it looks almost exactly like this. My second error detected for this issue was on Tomax's scar. Mark does, of course, mean Zamot. Duh. When he's in the boardroom. <laughs> It's back on uh, the left from our perspective, looking at him and over his eye, which is closer to the more um, canon place of where it should be. But it's moved from where it has been for for most of the previous issues where where he's been a, appearing. So uh, maybe uh, maybe he's yeah, had some surgery to realign his scar, even even in the even in the previous Bado issues. I think he was drawing it on. <laughs> 
on the on the right mostly, but uh, I did notice it wasn't completely consistent. Maybe um, that's what um, Storm Shadow has been doing for seven years. Um, <laughs> very lightly scarring uh, Zamot's face, right? Cobra Commander's like, I need the Crimson Twins to keep doing what I say. Um, so I have I have two I spies. Um, if it's time for that, I spy with my little eye. All right. So the page uh, where we cut inside Storm uh, Snake Eyes and Scarlet's uh, cabin after the like practice fight, and Kamakura is wearing his costume, and Scarlet says, "You can take off your costume," and he says, "No, no, no. I'm keeping it on." Um, there's a there's a um, a wordless panel of uh, Scarlet with chopsticks. Um, pulling some noodles up and snake eyes has his two hands together mm-hmm. and i should show this to my friend who knows uh american sign language who knows asl i don't know if this is a specific word or idea or if this is that general uh you know when you cross your thumbs and you you flap your fingers <laughs> yeah. and make the like, <laughs> yeah the bird, bird flying away um uh, i i don't do that as a when i mime that uh, I don't do that as a funny caca caca. I do that as a like, uh, like there's an idea that that you didn't catch or is is it? I, I sort of thought like, oh, is this like uh, like empty nest? You know, like oh, they're all growing up. Like oh, Snake Eyes, Kamakura, your your apprentice is like leaving the nest. Anyway, so I don't I don't quite know what that is, but I I like it. Um, going back uh, two pages, when Billy is in this jeep driving in the high Sierras. And his phone rings. There is a phone number. Mm, uh, there's yeah. a like caller ID. Like there is a phone number, and it's not a it's not a five five five. It's not a fake, you know, like movie phone number. That just looks like a real phone number. And uh, I wonder several things. One, uh, maybe one of you can check while I'm saying this sentence. Three two three is that. <laughs> Is that area code Los Angeles? Because on the next page, uh, Storm Shadow is calling from a payphone at a gas station, and I think he's he's in LA by by then. Yeah, he's in LA by then. Yeah, it is it is uh, an LA uh, code. Thank you. Two, um, is this a phone number that uh, Blaylock or uh, Badeau lifted from something real? Three, is it a payphone? In Los Angeles, a real payphone, uh, perhaps at a, uh, a shell station, because it's basically oh, a shell yeah. station, gas station. Number four, why haven't any of us called this number? And I'll tell you th- th- my answer for why I haven't. It's because, I guess I could also text it. It's because uh, every so often I leave my phone on overnight because I'm expecting an important call. And then a not important call wakes me up and it's it's very disruptive. And so, like... Just my luck trying to be a good phone etiquette guy. If I if I called this number right now or yesterday, uh, it'd be like someone in an emergency situation who needs the line clear and they're it's or like a time zone thing, right? It's like someone's cell phone, but it's actually like four a.m. where they are because they're not. A, it's not a landline in California. Um, so I I just want to put this out there to our listeners. Uh, if anyone texts. Or calls this number. Um, let us know what you find out. Uh, maybe it's a disconnected number. You know, maybe it's a. Mm-hmm. No, it's a it's a good it's a good call though, isn't it? If it was a public phone booth outside a snail garage in um, L.A., then uh, then they 
you know they could have used a real life number that's uh very it's very probably nice. josh blaylock's ex-girlfriend's phone number <laughs> maybe maybe this is like uh 8675309 which uh the the phone the utility company i think like permanently disconnected because of that song from the 80s <laughs> uh maybe maybe um maybe we we're missing some research from 2003 maybe this really was like a payphone in california mm-hmm. a bunch of devils do uh fans tried it out and then like you know the the phone utility in California. It's like we just have to disconnect this phone permanently. Someone <laughs> someone spiked it. Sure, we can think that happened. I I had an I spy for this issue, which was Cobra Commander and his big droopy eye holes. So in that uh, in that boardroom scene, particularly, it's uh, it's those appear, appearance of those big eye slits on his uh, hoods, which sort of come all the way down to expose the uh, kind of you know the extremities of either side of his uh nose i believe they're called nostrils so uh yeah i don't know that i think you know maybe some people don't like that that look i i find it interesting (laughs) but uh but that very but the very last page uh the, the very last page of the issue uh where we've got um we're looking up at cobra commander with his smoking gun what a great shot and uh what a cliffhanger for the next next issue I was going to say, actually, this it's not really an I spy, but I wanted to tip my hat to such a badass final page of G.I. Joe where Billy's just gotten shot. You got to turn the page to find out who did it. It's Cobra Commander, right? The Crimson Guards never looked cooler mm-hmm. uh, than this page. One of them is way up close, right? And the composition of this page is uh, you even get some storm shadow and agony in the background and some negative space between cobra commander and a cg and then there's a there's a japanese lantern one of those paper sphere lantern uh lights hanging from the ceiling and some swords on the wall uh and again it's really aggressive pretty coloring uh really well drawn clothing folds and straps and belts in this page right like three bad guys staring down at you with weapons and uh, excellent cliffhanger. What an absolute bastard Cobra Commander is to, to shoot his son. I mean, it's such a great moment. He's like, no one is going to shoot my son except me. Bang! And you're just like, holy crap, he just shot his son. Yeah, if you, you know, if you followed the Marvel book from, well, issue 10, which is Billy's first appearance, you know, all the way through. And for years, this is a character that you've, like I said, some people don't like him. Uh, I always liked the character. I always thought uh, his story was was neat if you looked at it, just the big picture kind of thing. Yeah. And then pop by his old man. It's just like it's really shocker, really shocker. Great moment. We can we can probably do um, favorite line of dialogue here as well, actually, because we probably have got a limited selection for issue 21. Pretty sparse. Pretty sparse. <laughs> quote of the week, quote of the week, quote of the week, quote of the week. Quarter of the week, quarter of the week, quarter of the week. Mine, my my uh, favorite line of dialogue I'm going to say right now is, no one is going to shoot my son except me. That's just, uh, how can you top that? It was so, just so biting. You know, it's like, wow, Billy just got punked by his old man. My favorite <laughs> line is a few pages earlier. Uh, it's, the, it's the second of the trios of uh, like tough guys that, threaten storm shadow uh where he's 
he's uh, he's kneeling, trying to get into this door that I was talking about before. Uh, this is just before one of them sees that it's a, a dreadnought motorcycle. But uh, Storm Shadow's in pain, and someone says from off panel, "Yo, stop right there! Yo, dog, look at this loco's outfit." And then the the main like tough guy, who is who is pointing a gun, right? So this is about to be a mugging or a murder. Says, "You doing some Mortal Kombat birthday party at the arcade homes?" And I appreciate that in this world of outlandish costumes, someone acknowledges an outlandish costume, right? I do think that in a lot of parts of like Los Angeles, Chicago, and New York, a lot of Joes and Cobras could just walk down the street and it wouldn't seem so out of place. And that point has been made in the letters page of uh, the Marvel run. But, you know, as much as I want these characters to show up in their costumes no matter what, right? Like, I want Gung-Ho on an Arctic mission underwater. I want him in his vest. I don't (laughs) want him wearing the same scuba diving suit as everyone else because then I can't tell it's Gung-Ho, right? Like, you know, it doesn't make sense, but in that that direction, like, to me, G.I. Joe is kind of like a superhero comic, right? Like, Superman doesn't need red underwear. There's a historical reason for that in the costume design, but he doesn't actually need it. But the costume doesn't look as good without it, right? So I like it when... I I think this line is funny, and it also um, refers to the arcade, which uh, is a a small, you know, plot point as a Mm -hmm. a location. Reminding us of the location. I think um, as an Easter egg here, actually, the two of those uh, gangsters or whatever you'd call them, um, the one on the left, I believe, is is meant to uh, look like Biggie Smalls, and the one on the right, uh, Tupac. Okay, yeah, I thought the close-up of the guy on the left, yeah, I thought this is a particular face. Mm. So, yeah. uh, good good catch. And uh, yeah, the two-pack connection, probably less so in the face, but more from that, um, you know, the the look of the, the bandana kind of tied up at the front with the not, not sort of pointing outwards. Mark, you have a favorite line of dialogue? I, I did. It was just, uh, just before the one that um, Jay selected, um, Cobra Commander saying... What are you going to do, Billy? Shoot your own father? Uh, which is, yeah, quite quite funny in terms of the context of that is what he wanted to do back when, uh, you know, back when we... Uh, oh, yeah. Like, back at when the rally. Billy, yeah, exactly. Back at the rally when, when Billy was much, much younger. Um, so, uh, yeah, a, a nice echo to, to that famous uh, scene from, uh, from Billy. That second to last page, the one, Mark, you just referred to, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven panels. The page before it, nine panels. Um, you know, th- this is this is a good and a bad at the same time. Uh, Blaylock continues to write um, densely, right? A lot happens per page, which I appreciate. A lot of action, a lot of dialogue, um, a lot of uh, geographical and scene transitions. Um, and this second to last page, um, because the coloring is so aggressive, because Beto draws the way he draws, uh, panels two, three, four, um, they, they get a little busy for me. And, and that word balloon that you just referred to, Mark, what are you going to do, Billy? Shoot mm-hmm. your own father. That word balloon is a little bit too far to the left. It's like mm. on Cobra Commander's head, which is uh, kind of a no-no. Um, but... Uh, you know, going back to um, value for the dollar and like time spent with a beloved property, um, I would rather a writer 
put a lot or too much into a comic, into a page, then not enough. And as I said uh, at the top, um, this issue really motors, right? The pace is really fast. Um, a lot happens. The emotional stakes are high. The like physical action, like, you know, violence stakes uh, are also high. Um, and it's really satisfying. Yeah. And, and while, while there's a lot going on and being packed in, it's, it's not suffer, suffering from a feeling as though it's too crowded uh, which we kind of saw a bit more in that, particularly in that first arc. So, um, the one thing it's missing, uh, in terms Scarlet. of Scarlet, uh, yes, I mean, we, I mean yes. in a good role, uh, we we had uh, the 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 other thing it's missing is uh, is a GI Joe vehicle, and we yeah. have remarked that the Devils Do Run mm. um, treats those as secondary, and you know, so Billy's driving a jeep. There's no reason why it would be a G.I. Joe Jeep. And actually, if it was, we might say, where'd Billy get the G.I. Joe Jeep? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But that that is an opportunity. This this helicopter. um, Is this a helicopter from like the 2003 toy line? This isn't a helicopter we saw in 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 Battle Files. In one part of dialogue, it's called a dragonfly, but um, it doesn't look like a dragonfly. So so I guess we could could call it a dragonfly Mark II or something. Wished dragonfly. Because it's got a a back tail rotor, whereas the actual toy has got um, that kind of more distinct. But again, wasn't... We weren't think. there like like the hiss tank weren't there a couple of vehicle updates around 2003 where the vehicle just doesn't look like any gi joe vehicle but it gets a name like are, are we overlooking Probably. a vehicle from the era when the vehicles weren't very cool um so but regardless um uh in terms of like ingredients of gi joe you know like the the again the motorcycle that storm shadow steals the dreadnought motorcycle that shouldn't that should not be the actual like 1988 dreadnought motorcycle um but uh i do see um it'd have been so it, cool if it was <laughs> um if it was drawn uh, I, that well yeah. uh I, that's that's true i, I but I, I do see in this comic you know this it's we have many elements of G.I. Joe and, and one key one is not here. And uh, yeah. uh, I wouldn't mind in, in future issues uh, a little more attention paid to the vehicles. Mm-hmm. Let's, talk about, let's talk about this Zek issue. Okay, so Mike, Mike Zek, exclamation mark. Woo, boy. On interiors, two exclamation marks. Exciting to see. I was uh, thrilled at, at the time to see him to see him come on board and to, to see more, you know, more from, from Zach from only previously seeing him do covers. So, so it's, uh, we, uh, we can, uh, and to clarify slightly a bunch of covers for, De- uh, a couple covers for devils do four or five, uh, a, a famous cover run for Marvel. Um, also some pinups for yearbooks three and four from Marvel and his one sequential story for G.I. Joe before this, uh, My mm. Dinner with Serpentor, a oh, backup yes. story that's six or seven pages in, uh, I forget, yearbook three or four. Someone will correct me. This issue is, is actually quite unusual because Mike Zek is closely identified with G.I. Joe, but not this G.I. Joe, not Devil's Do, and not Interiors, right? I, I bet most people would sort of have forgotten and half the time I do too, that he did do one backup story for a yearbook. So, mm. you know, like his interiors are affiliated with um, 
uh, Shang-Chi master of Kung Fu uh, and uh, like late 70s, early 80s at Marvel and then his Captain America run in the 80s and then uh, his Punisher miniseries, which he didn't get to finish because Marvel changed their mind about the scheduling and then, uh, you know, some Batman covers and a long Deathstroke, the Terminator cover run. Um, Secret Wars then, as well. Uh, yes, he yeah. drew uh, about two thirds of Secret Wars, the original Secret Wars. Um, mm. And then, you know, Craven's some independent Last stuff. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> all six chapters of Craven's uh, Last Hunt. But not actually known for drawing G.I. Joe issues. Never drew a full Marvel issue. Um, so this is a... This is a really, and yet the challenge of the silent issue, right? Zek is absolutely up to the task of drawing a silent issue, right? He he is that good at choreography, storytelling, action, uh, set design uh, poses. Um, so the issue looks really good, and um, you know John Beatty's inks. Uh, also look great on Zach. Like Zach's, I think Zach's pencils are gonna are gonna be a an accurate guide for any inker, uh, but it helps that it's an inker who knows what they're doing and has also worked with Zach before. And um, I don't know if I told you this this story before, but um, at London Supercon uh, a few years ago. Uh, Zek was a special guest. Uh, it might have even been his first appearance in the UK, or, or certainly a very rare appearance uh, from him. Um, I was uh, obviously hugely excited that he was going to come over to the UK and would would see him and get you know get a chance to maybe get a sketch from him, get a couple of things signed. And he brought with him the uh, prelim pencils to this issue in its oh. entirety, and. Um, the I got to his table quite early on in the day. You know, I asked you know if he had any original art with him for for sale. And I found out that he had literally just seconds before sold uh, sold that to uh, to somebody else. And I thought no, you know, got down to to my no, knees, put my hands in the air, and shouted no, Padman, <laughs> my God, uh, why? Uh, you know, that's uh, you know. Missed out on that one. Uh, that that's one of my uh, one of the <laughs> one of the tales of what might have been in terms of my uh, art collection. So that was a that was a shame to have missed out on the, on that one. Uh, but there we go. Zek is also um, uh, embedded in that story you just told. Zek is uh, old school in that his his preliminaries um, are as good and. As, almost as finished as mm. just like pencils for from a lot of other artists. Exactly. He's one of these guys who he like he seems like he's drawing everything twice. Mm. Mm. I think he's he's just really figuring it out, and uh, it's cool that you got to see those. Yeah, I, that that was the point that I was all, almost going to get to was was the fact that that you know when, when we talk about preliminaries here, it's it's basically the same as the the the, the final art. It's just smaller, a little looser. Um, so, so you know, he's he's doing the, the the working out and the thinking at this this smaller scale before then um, moving up to the the final pages, which is kind of I guess part of the the look that that enables them to create this sort of very solid kind of images that that we're seeing. Jay, what's your 
What's your overall reaction to this issue or Mike Zek? I'm not sure. Um, obviously, I really, really like it. Um, I'm just flipping through the pages now, and, and I'm wondering how much of the storytelling that we're seeing in choreography is um, Zek and how much is Blaylock. Because, you know, and we talked about Blaylock doing layouts before, but, you know, especially since this is a silent issue, he's basically telling him what to do and, you know, in every panel. But, man, Zek's choices of, uh, you know, what I refer to as camera positioning and, you know, where how you're looking at the figure in the shot is everything is just really dynamic. The sequence where uh, Cobra Commander runs out of the building and he comes towards the, uh, the, the just the first shot where he's running towards the, the Thunder Machine. Great spot for the camera. Great angle for Cobra Commander. You get to see the one guy knocked up against the wall. Um, I assume that's, yeah, that was Thrasher that got his head bashed against the uh, the, the front plate. <laughs> Cobra Commander throws him out of the Thunder Machine, you know, and then next panel, Kamakura comes to the door. Cobra Commander turns around and sees him, shoots him. I mean, the storytelling is just perfect. The next page, you know, Kamakura picks up a gun, shoots at him, chases after him, jumps. And then the next one is the one that I really like where you have Kamakura on the front. And it's very much like a movie. We've talked about um, how this is kind of written and, and, and illustrated that way. You could you could see a lot of the movie edit, I think Mark called it. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the top panel where they're coming toward the oncoming car. Second panel, there's the lady in the car with her kid. Kamakura flips out of the road. She's like, oh, my gosh, what was that? Just the storytelling is, is really, really good. Uh, figure work is impeccable. I mean, Zek's amazing. It's it's a different style. It's not as, uh, you know, obviously not as detailed as, as Bad O's issue. And we've all talked, you know, about uh, how a lot of times most artists will simplify their work um, as they get older. You know, for any number of reasons, they just realize that they don't need to have all those lines on there to tell mm. a really good story, I think, is, is the biggest thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, this doesn't look like the classic Marvel covers, you know, 51 with Storm Shadow and, and Quick Kick facing off, or uh, I think it was 43 with Death and the 50 caliber. I mean, that's a whole different uh, whole different ball game. But just from a from a yeah. storytelling perspective th th this issue is so good it's, it's top notch i mean you could this is one uh tim that i think that you could probably show your students as an example of how to tell a story without words that said so, i hope we never have another silent issue ever <laughs> I, I feel like why do we need like six like every year they go oh what are we gonna do for a silent issue this year <sighs> enough of the silent issues all right i, I want to come back to this idea of silent issue, good or bad idea, and, yes. and and hover for a minute on Zek's storytelling. So one of the pages you just referred to, it's after Cobra Commander has tossed Thrasher out of the Thunder Machine. He's now taken off and Kamakura's after him. And something that Zek does, which is really simple and straightforward, but urgently important in comics, is he establishes and reestablishes. So it's a five-panel page. Thunder Machine's driving yep. away. Kamakura picks up a gun from... This dreadnought fires the gun. Th uh, Thunder Machine's turning a corner, and Kamakura in panel three is running after it. We see a dumpster. In the next panel, Kamakura has leapt onto the dumpster, and we see past him the Thunder Machine. In the next panel, the final panel of the page, Kamakura has leapt off of the dumpster and is now grabbing onto the Thunder Machine, and Cobra Commander's turning and seeing it happen. So 
the dumpster as a as a as a prop as a as a signpost as a physical item in the scene which we see we see again we see again so we can triangulate like where the person is around this building on one side of the building on another side of the building in relation to the thunder machine this is really important and people who are just starting out in comics don't or or storyboarding and animation like this has to be learned so when I was reading this issue, that third panel, I see the dumpster. And in the back of my mind, I said, we're going to see the dumpster again, like in a moment or in a page or in three pages. And we do. Um, another thing that Zach is doing all throughout this issue, which is, you know, old school and, uh, and masterful, is he is usually keeping his camera low and pointing it up slightly. And this is something that doesn't really happen in the previous issue. This comes from experience in drawing dozens and dozens of comics and getting better. This comes from great storytelling instincts. And this comes from being able to draw anything. And Zek is one of these artists, horses, swords, buildings, people fighting cars, right? Zek can draw anything. Um, so I want to go back to page uh, two. Snake Eyes jumps at us with his swords drawn. Bullets are flying um, past him. Then there's these two great panels that sort of match each other of him uh, with his sword and dagger slashing the weapon of this uh, these two CGs and then taking them out um, and then kicking the gun out of Cobra Commander's hand while uh, the CGs fall away. In three of these four panels, the camera is... If you imagine it on a tripod, right? The camera is not like at shoulder height as if a camera operator is shooting the scene. Camera's not looking straight. The camera's at like four feet or three feet and it's angled yeah. slightly up. And this is something that we see in the G.I. Joe cartoon and in X-Men cartoon and the Batman cartoon. When you want something to seem slightly more dramatic, put the camera a little bit low and aim it up. We like slightly see the bottom of the chin of Batman or Duke, right, or or Serpentor, right? This adds heft in animation and in comics. And a lot of comics artists haven't learned this lesson. And so a lot of times the camera is straight, which is fine and clear, but it lacks a little uh, heft. But at the same time, you have to be extra confident in your ability to draw anatomy, to draw a figure, not straight on, but slightly in foreshortened perspective where you're looking a little bit up at it. And Zek does that all over the place in this issue to the, to the point where he's not showing off and he's not, he's not making anything more complex than he needs to be. It's just like icing on the cake, shot after shot, panel after panel. You get the feeling from looking at this that he probably read the outline or whatever he had and just went through from the beginning to the end and just thumbnailed it and the thumbnails could almost probably be blown up and inked. I mean, it, it, you just feel like, like you said, mastery, you know, it's just, this is so comfortable and easy for him to pull this off. That, that third panel where after snake eyes has cut the crimson guards guns, and then he stabs him in the third one. That's so awesome. The, like the, the arch of his back. And I mean, it's just, it'd be hard to think of that. It just seems like I said, it's something that comes natural in the fourth panel. Or the yeah, where he he kicks the, kick. the gun from Cobra Commander. Yeah, that like, looks great. Not, not everyone can draw that pose from no. that angle. It's like mm. you 
you have oh, to I wouldn't have, know what to do. Well, would um, think to. The, uh, yeah. the the point you were you were just making is that um, you know we look at a lot of comics artists from you know eighties and nineties and aughts and the teens and now the twenties and there's often this thinking like the more detail the better mm. yeah and uh, there are plenty of artists who who can prove that wrong and you know embedded Jay in what you were saying earlier like there is less detail here in Zach's work than there had been fifteen years earlier and. Like this, this panel where this third panel you just referred to, where Snake Eyes is thrusting forward and the two Crimson Guardsmen are coming are are coming forward. I think a lot of fans will look at this panel, look at this page, look at this issue, and say like, "Oh yeah, it's exciting. The art's old school," and they don't mean it as an insult. But what they're really saying is, "I wish there were more detail." Yeah. And like, I don't need any more detail on the Crimson Guardsmen's like helmet insignia or their shoulder brocade. Right, like more detail could be exciting, but like Zek's focus here is on composition, mm. pose, action, choreography, and storytelling. And storytelling is this uber word that means yeah. story and art together, and it it can be hard to separate them. S- something overall, right, that I wasn't getting in the previous issue, where the camera is often straight and often close. And often the compositions are crowded. And to be fair, it's not it's not a perfect comparison because um, the previous issue, a lot more happens, more characters, more um, scene transitions, more locations, more uh, uh, like props. This issue does breathe a little bit more, right? Because it's really just focused on like escape, cool fight between two or four guys. But what this issue does much more clearly than the previous issue is where is everyone in a scene and from the beginning to the end of the scene, right? Like I wasn't sure in the previous issue where Storm Shadow was. Was he in an alley? Is this the back door? He breaks into this office. There's this guy. I don't know who it is. Mm-hmm. Mark's like, no, that's the back office. And here it's like, we're in this basement. We go up the stairs. We're in a crowded arcade. We go out of the arcade. There's a car there. There's a fight in the arcade. Kids are watching, right? It's the same kids from one page uh, to the next page, right? And then the thing I already said about the dumpster and Kamakura chasing the, th- uh, the thunder machine around the corner. Like, you can feel uh, disappointed or thrown off by this issue because there are no words, and so it seems to have less, less story heft. It takes less time to read. Or because it's, quote, just a chase and a fight. There aren't like revelations the way that there were in the previous issue. You know, there's no like scene with Storm Shadow breaking the spell or, or Scarlet like uh, tossing the ring or Cobra Commander like firing on Billy. Like this issue is actually much more straightforward. Um, but I would I would use a different word than straightforward. I would say pure. This issue is just like gorgeous action choreography. And I think well, Zex kind of you know masterful. I think you know. Jay Jay said that you know it's easy for him, or some something along those lines. I think the cl- clarification for that will probably is, be is that he's that good that he makes it look easy. I'm sure that he found this. I'm sure he would have found this hard, and he would have worked hard at it <laughs> to oh, make yeah, it. I'm not saying to make it, it was... look as if it's uh, yeah. easy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know, when yeah. when you're that good, sometimes it can look like something is is easy yeah. to draw rather than uh, and, and you know particularly if you're you know pairing it back and keeping it you know as a more simple style one of the things that that i noticed here was 
quite how many of these panels uh in terms of the, the background either have no background other than you know action effects or, or the sort of the coloring effects that would have been employed um afterwards you know or minimal backgrounds or enough to, to to kind of frame frame the, the the situation and um you know i had in mind partly as well our, our conversation last week with uh nitho diaz who who you know is, is is you know much more focused on cramming in in the in the details into the backgrounds into into the panels that um you know as as a contrast between styles not that not that i'm gonna say one is necessarily right or wrong it's um you can you can you know dial one up to the extremes of including loads and loads of detail or you can pair it back um you know in in as we're seeing in in most of this issue to to there literally being no background or a hint of a background or enough to give us a sense of place there's another detail in that idea which is you can have several panels with no or minimal background mm. after you have properly established yeah. a background and where people are in it. And that happens over and over in this issue. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I think Nito Diaz was either sort of getting to that point or I think he's learning it in his comics. So um, how do you guys feel? Oh, All right. So can I dial it back? Yeah. Because we were just talking about the the scene where where Snake Eyes is is kicking the gun out of Cobra Commander's um, hand, and just the immediate scene after that is um, is Snake Eyes swinging at him with his sword and then his his um, knife blade, and it being blocked by Snake uh, by Storm Shadow. And that put me in mind of a parallel back to issue 21, a sort of a, almost a callback where Scarlet was being uh, attacked by Storm Shadow and had, had that, uh, that sword thrown at her. And um, Snake Eyes is behind her and sort of reaches around and, and is able to grab the, the blade and, and block that uh, attack. I don't know if Blaylock or, or Zek would have had that in, in mind, but um, yeah, an interesting I... reversal. The, ne- the following page has another uh, purposeful or inadvertent callback to 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Storm Shadow and Cobra Commander go up a staircase, mm. and then there's this doorway, and there's a ninja in the doorway, right? It's Kamakura. And now you've got um, four guys fighting on this staircase with this, with this doorway. And issue 21 is very much about this staircase, right, with the, mm. the jail cell like at the bottom of it and then a doorway at the top. And then later in that issue, there's a second doorway, which is shaped differently, right? And like the red ninjas show up. And I also wondered while reading this scene, uh, was Blaylock referring back to 21? I don't know how specifically he had issue 21, like in front of him when he thought about this issue or wrote it, but I can't imagine anyone doing the first silent issue of GI Joe in several years that's about ninjas and Cobra Commander. And is number 21. <laughs> also number yeah, with, 21. Without, without referring to yeah, some extent yeah, yeah. back yeah. to the original. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys, uh, sorry, so we've talked about the, the art and the, the storytelling. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about the story? Just going to ask you about that. Mm. Um, did Storm Shadow, then did he get re, did his programming kick back in? Is that what you were going to ask? Because I'm not. I wasn't a hundred percent sure whether, like, uh, you know, Snake Eyes was trying to do the Arashikage mindset on him, and he gets interrupted by the Dreadnoughts, and then he's getting ready to do it the second time, and he sees uh, Cobra Commander and Kamakura outside, and I think he stops himself in the middle of doing it, and is is that why did Storm Shadow's 
mind control kick back in or is this storm shadow just making a heel turn because i don't know he's still got some misplaced <laughs> loyalty to cobra commander because he's a dick yeah <laughs> no it's, it's a good what do you think it's a good question it's a good question jay so um i think you know what's what's happened at, at the very beginning of the issue um you know in previous issues you know storm shadow was breaking free he was struggling with it you know he was and collapsing yeah, like, etc free yeah so he so he was he was in part free but he was still struggling and in you know in some mental and physical anguish as a result um we're opening up the issue he's got the headband on and he's being reprogrammed and that i guess really kicks in with him you know blocking that that strike from snake eyes in front of cobra commander so he's you know that that brainwashing has kicked in and he is um you know he is protecting cobra commander and fighting snake eyes there's that beat where where storm shadow is then knocked over and um snake eyes is able to resume his arishikage mindset um you know with his his finger triangles that he's he's forming and and you know he's able to begin breaking that that um that brainwashing again but is interrupted by a bonk on the head from uh the 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 dreadnoughts which means that he's not quite you know completed it but you know snake storm shadow is coming up from the ground he's able to punch out one of the dreadnoughts and and protect um snake eyes he's holding his head he's he's still you know obviously not fully there he's he's struggling and then um yeah as snake eyes is um attacking um storm shadow he uh he comes in and rescues him and and the thought you know the the dynamic between them isn't isn't as before it, they're not you know jumping in the air and, and swords exploding which kind of leaves you into some doubt quite what is happening with storm shadow at the very end and it was a point that confused me as to has he broken free and if so why is he protecting storm shadow it doesn't completely make clear sense to to me i don't know if either of you two felt any differently about that very last scene as to why well, I, I was trying to figure that out in the um in the plot breakdown how to word that i was like well they they just kind of stop fighting and i'm not sure if it's like i i, I almost wanted to use the phrase like mutual respect i'm like but that's mm. not that that mm. doesn't seem to be enough you know for for what these two have it's 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 deeper than that but yeah it's like is Storm Shadow just blocking that shot at the at the very top of the page? Because it looks almost like that's all he's doing. Like he's just blocking it. Like I feel like he's saying, Snake Eyes, don't kill him. Not necessarily yeah. saying don't kill Cobra Commander, just don't kill. Mm. You know? Mm. And Snake Eyes is like, fine. I am in agreement with the two of you that I don't know how to read this final scene and storm shadows status to that extent i find the end of this issue unsatisfying and then i ask myself is this my own deficiency am i not smart enough to like <laughs> like suss out it's like no no no. like I, i've read gi joe comics i understand how characters and fiction work like i should i should be able to infer there's something that blaylock and zek are doing here that i'm not picking up on and uh, I think it's possible that this is left for a later issue 
that mm-hmm. it's not not quite a cliffhanger, but it's it's left unresolved, so that we'll have to come back to it. Mm-hmm. I think it's possible that this is not at all in the story. Like we don't see this, but I sort of wonder if it, like the moment is like, oh, we're like starting a fire and a fight just on a busy street, and maybe we need to back off. Uh, I don't know why Cobra Commander would, would, I mean, again, like there's no, there's no, there's no page where like Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes will stop and look at like terrorized pedestrians on the sidewalk. (laughs) In fact, the pedestrians drop out of the, the scene once we're sort of more clear of the arcade, right? We, we, the final, the final one, two, three, three and a half pages, right? We just drop out the, the, the bystanders. So... I don't, I don't know. I, I guess sort of, I just sort of, by default, I just sort of fall on the side of like Storm Shadow is still somewhat under the thrall of Cobra and uh, I think so. And, and yeah. Snake Eyes and Cobra Command, uh, sorry, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow fight to a standstill. Mm-hmm. And so this is going to have to be resolved later. Um, but I'm not, I'm not convinced from a writing perspective that another five or 20 pages couldn't resolve this it's like no i I think you do continue the fight i i don't i don't like the begrudging respect thing that also sort of occurs to me because like it this the the fight is diffused and there's this four panels where snake eyes and storm shadow just look at each other right and that has to mean something uh you know like i think about um i can't i can't recall when it's happened in the comic but it's it's happened in an episode of the cartoon uh it happens in the games master where at the end uh joe and cobra have to team up to stop someone else and at the end they have and now it's time for them to go their separate ways and it's like well we're gonna go our separate ways oh it also happens um in uh, the greatest evil uh a later deke episode Right, where Joe and Cobra team up to stop a bad guy together, and then they have to go. That's like you know, you've you've earned my begrudging respect, and there will be no fighting today. And they go their separate ways, and that's sort of what I'm seeing here. I, I think in terms of story, um, story separate from art and storytelling, this issue is a letdown for two reasons. Mm-hmm. One, it can't compete with how much story is in issue twenty. And it's possible that Blaylock overcompensated 20, knowing that 21 would need a lot more breathing room. Two, and this is the biggie, this 21, it it's, doesn't compare well to the original 21. Mm. This is a good issue. Uh, the art is great. The original, the original 21 is like important. Like it was exciting and revelatory then, like, you know, what, what are these tattoos, right? Like, who's the, like, that's the first appearance of Storm Shadow, which I think people sometimes forget. Mm. Um, like, oh, the silent issue, the silent issue, the silent issue. Like, no, no, who's this badass ninja? And like, wait, they have a connection? Mm. Um, but also since then, right, and I use the L word sparingly, the legend of silent interlude has only <laughs> grown. Like, everyone talks about it. Like, people who know comics but like don't care about G.I. Joe or like who know the name Larry Hama, but it's like, oh yeah, he he was a writer, right? It's like, they know of the silent issue. And certainly it's a, it's a money thing that IDW did a a hardcover just of silent interlude, but also like it's important enough to, that it can carry that. I, Jay seems to be hinting that like, we don't need silent issues anymore because uh, well, I'll, Jay, I'll let you finish that thought. I think the reason to be careful about silent issues is that if they are trying to do what 21 did, the original 21, 
they're probably going to fall short. Mm. And so they need to do something different, which is why I like uh, issue 85 SFX, Mm -hmm. right? It does something different and the stakes are different, like a completely different setting. uh, And it does have some wording in it, not dialogue. Uh, I haven't reread the silent story in yearbook three, but I remember loving it. So, you know, and then we can look ahead to like future silent issues if we wanted to do that kind of comparison because there have been a couple since then. Um, so, Jay, what is what is your what's your hesitation with like no more silent issues? I just feel like they're overdone at this point. Um, and I think you mean like it's a the, gimmick? Uh, yeah. And, and during the Robert Atkins interview uh, that, that Mark did a couple months ago or, th- or not sure when it was, it was three or four months ago, probably. Uh, they talked about how 275 was the, um, I think it was a double size splash page, all splash silent issue. And um, I remember Chief and Mark talked about it when they when they also reviewed the issue. They're like, the thing about the original silent issue was Snake Eyes was breaking into a castle to rescue Scarlet. Everything had to be stealthy and quiet. 275 had a lot of explosions gunfire yelling so it doesn't make sense for it to be a silent issue same with this one there's all kinds of gunfire explosions fire i mean i don't think looking through this i don't think that it needs a lot of words and and probably there might not need any but it just seems like it seems like too much of a gimmick it's it's too much of a yeah it's just a gimmick to me anymore i mean what made uh, 21 special was that it was spontaneous thing. I mean, it wasn't intended to be a silent issue three months before publication. It was something that had to be done out of necessity and it was done and uh, they just knocked it out of the park. And it seems like everybody since then has wanted to capture that and they just can't quite get it. Mm-hmm. Some of those other silent issues were really good. And this one I said was really good. I liked the choreography and everything is really good. Blaylock did a great job writing it. Zach did a great job drawing it, putting it together. But um, I just don't feel like it needed to be a silent issue. If for something like this, this is a bombastic, action-packed, loud issue. You know, you want to do another silent one, make it Tunnel Rat sneaking into somewhere and stealing information, mm. you know, but not something like this. And that's my my thoughts on it. Yeah, I was just, I was just to, to round out the, the discussion about the the storm shadow kind of motivation at the, at the end. I think, I think we've got it really that, that he's, you know, he's broke, he'd somewhat broken free. Um, you know, the, it, the brainwashing is, is still there and that's what's led him to, to save snake, to save storm shadow, maybe partly protecting snake eyes from himself in terms of delivering that, that killer blow. The, the whole motivation isn't there absolutely on, on the page at the, previously box in in issue 22 it gives us a little bit more uh, of a explicit description which is that um uh, St- St- storm shadow had temporarily broken free of cobra commander's years of mind control however cobra commander intercepted the group before snake eyes was able to secure storm shadow's mental state through ancient ninja techniques after a battle that left a small part of Los Angeles in shambles, Storm Shadow re-swore his allegiance with Cobra, leaving Snake Eyes to the realization that his friend was lost. So he was, uh, you know, not able to to fully break him break him free. 
and I, th I think this could be m slightly more explicit in 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 that those last couple of pages but as well i think what's what's happening is as well is that kamakura is in a bad way he'd, he'd been involved in uh in a crash in the thunder machine he'd been thrown off of the the, the vehicle was kind of lying around you know it's quite a violent crash he was lying on the on the ground unconscious and billy had 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 a shot to you know the gut or the shoulder depending on on you know which panel you're looking at uh, and he's in a bad way as as well so i think part of the the way of leaving it on the joe's side is and and could you know just be maybe a bit more emphasized is that they're in such a bad way and and snake eyes can't pursue the fight any further because uh he needs to get his you know needs to rescue his friends and get them some uh medical attention and yeah just making that a little bit more transparent that, that perhaps that, that snake eyes just would want to pursue snake uh storm shadow and cobra commander but can't uh whereas you know it's kind of positioned a little bit more in just those last couple of panels like yeah, they're just calling it a truce and, and walking off. Whereas, you know, in reality, is this, you know, is this still a good occasion to try and rescue his friend, defeat Cobra Commander, which after all should be the, the real goal of the G.I. Joe team to to get Cobra Commander and, and not let him just wander off. Yeah, this is a good point that on that final page, if Snake Eyes is like rushing to scoop up Billy and if Kamakura doesn't stand up on his own and walk away on his own having been thrown from a car uh or snake eyes is like looking back and forth like at cobra commander storm shadow and then at his two injured friends like left right left right uh the the urgency uh would be clearer um going back a few pages so uh in in the page where the thunder machine crashes and throws Kamakura and also Cobra Commander seems to be leaping on his own to safety. The Zek draws the Thunder Machine as kind of disintegrating or in it running over a smaller vehicle, maybe that's what's disintegrating. The, the actual middle panel where mm. Cobra Commander and Kamakura are yeah. in, in midair. But then on the next page, the Thunder Machine, like it's lost one wheel I I understand that you know this is all like heightened reality and comics are exaggerated action movies are exaggerated you know like the destruction is bigger but also when someone gets like thrown across the room like you or I would like break a rib and like they're just going to stand up um I do feel like the the thunder machine being like this is an armored car it being like so messed up and on fire is uh too much and too fast and I, I that that blurb about the issue is really helpful because like, right? They're like destroying not a big section of Los Angeles, but like one smidge of one street on one block. My other comment about sort of the urgency of this final scene is, um, I like the uh, I like the coloring on the first like five pages of this issue. I don't like the coloring on the final five pages. It's not it's not bad. It's not like, you know, Tim's worst coloring ever. <laughs> um, but the fire doesn't read as bright. Uh, like this this um, this splash page of uh, Snake Eyes kicking Cobra Commander, 
if you scanned this and you put, opened it up in Photoshop and you turned it to grayscale, you took out all the color and it was just like value one to 10, white, gray, black. Um, this is all in the middle. It's like, it's not a lot of bright, bright or dark, dark. I, I know there's black in the inking, but um, considering that, that uh, uh, I'll oversimplify this. Since I like old school coloring in comics, I like my fire to be yellow. Not like murky orange, <laughs> not murky orange. And this scene where they're fighting, there there is no sense of highlights. Yeah. Um, uh, whether it's like old school, like just yellow, like the like that Zek cover that I sort of colored uh, after we did um, the the second story arc for this podcast, or like modern, you know, like like the final page of the previous issue, right? Where it isn't fire. It's like one like fluorescent light and one Japanese lantern in the ceiling, right? Like it's like there's no sense of like Snake Eyes is stepping over fire to get to Cobra Commander having um, jumped from a vehicle. And so some of the drama is lost in this final scene for the coloring being so uh, compared to the early pages of the issue, it looks unfinished or rushed. If the whole issue would look like this, it would just feel like a stylistic choice. Like, we're just going to ease off on the color. I'll tell you what. Snake Eyes was preparing to chop Cobra Commander's head off, I think. He looks like he's in serious Jason Voorhees mode in that one page. Mm -hmm. Cobra Commander's getting up off the ground. Snake Eyes pulls his knife out, and he's like, this is it. I'm ending this. And then, bam, here comes Storm Shadow's sword. Yeah, I think um, Mark made that point a minute earlier about like G.I. Joe's goal should be to take out Cobra Commander, yeah. not necessarily like let him go. Uh, and yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't sort of follow the rules of of uh, loyalty, camaraderie, like G.I. Joe as like stories for kids. But like, yes, ah. absolutely. If you can chop off Cobra Commander's head <laughs> and then, like your, your friend, like your friend bleeds out and you're like apprentice who's like also a Joe gets killed. It's like, we've lost more Joes for less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so like, no, I don't actually think there should be a story as much as I want to see it where someone or Snake Eyes actually kills Cobra Commander. And what is it? Issue 90, 90, 97, 98, where Snake Eyes uh, gets to the top of the Cobra Consulate building uh, and puts a sword, puts a dagger up to Cobra Commander's neck. Right, Cobra Commander is like, uh, everyone back mm-hmm. off, everyone back off, and and I have to remind myself of that scene every time. Issues later, years later, Cobra Commander is particularly wary of Snake Eyes because more than any other Joe, Snake Eyes has now on more than one occasion come really close to ending Cobra Commander, uh, even if he doesn't always say it, and or there's not always a footnote to remind us. Um, oh, like I said, just imagine Snake Eyes doesn't talk, Jason Voorhees doesn't talk. Snake Eyes is just stalking him. He's like, I am getting this horny teenager right now. Uh, there's also... There's, there's, uh, I'm going to talk about Mike's ex art for a second. Um, there's something that he does more in his later art and less... It's like we, we're, we're not really seeing it in like, you know, his Punisher portfolio and, you know, issue one of the Punisher back from like 85, 86. Um, Zek is uh, slightly cartooning here and you can see it in the like faces of these other dreadnoughts like this panel where um snake eyes is like elbowing the the dreadnought with the sunglasses and the mustache and the like short orange hair mm-hmm. like that mouth uh, it's it's a left page on the bottom of the page 
um, still in the arcade. And then the next page, when uh, Snake Eyes is looking past the five, four kids out the window, seeing Kamakura on the Thunder Machine, like we see two kids who are like facing the camera and they have <laughs> what you might call like, uh, like they're drawn simply with not a lot of detail. That is true. It's not fully accurate. What Zek is doing is he's, he's cartooning. He's exaggerating yeah. their faces a little bit, like slightly bigger eyes, slightly bigger cartoony mouths. And this is something that sometimes doesn't feel like it fits with sort of a more like crisp, quote, realistic Mike Zek style or like doesn't feel like it fits in, in the world of G.I. Joe. But, you know, there's such a variety of artists and like scene to scene artists will exaggerate uh, one thing. Um, more than another so i really like this and and i i see a version of it in those like most intense punisher pages like issue one of punisher number one or uh the like punisher portfolio that um zek did at the time where like frank castle's eyebrows like he's frowning so much and it's like his eyebrows are like 10 percent bigger and more exaggerated and his eyes are like five percent smaller than normal and his chin is like like when when zek draws captain america like big chin big chest zek is slightly cartooning and i don't think we chalk it up to that word because it's like oh he's a superhero he's ex- he's exaggerated you know but like when this mom in the car uh the scene that jay pointed to with the like the kid in the pastor seat like playing with two toys uh which is by the way a cute you know a cute bit where there are these two. There are these two parallels. These two echoes. Where in the arcade, one of the video games is called Ninja Attack. Right during a ninja attack, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow in front of it, and then a couple pages later, like yeah, I Ninja saw getting Ninja getting thrown off a car, and it's about to hit a car, and in the passenger seat is a kid playing with two ninjas. Right, like I like that because it's not overdone. Uh, but that mom has like a cartooned face, even though it's it's like not detailed at all when she's gasping as she swerves out of the way. There was um, something as well talking about Zek's, Zek's style here, which sort of I noticed is is the actual look of Snake Eyes' face and specifically his visor that um, Zek, I think drawing Snake Eyes as a solo illustration, and certainly you'll see it from like any of his recent, you know, commissions or sketches of, of Snake Eyes, is he will draw that visor looking quite different and a lot of detail in the like the the lighting of the visor visor the the kind of the the effects that you see in in terms of the 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 whites and the the blacks um, reflecting in 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 the shape of it um here is a very simple visor sort of right to left and either three or four lines reflecting you know um, reflecting the shape of the the visor lines and i'm entirely sure that yeah if he was to draw that as a solo illustration he would draw it quite differently but the fact that this is a snake eyes heavy book with a a lot going on he has decided to pair it right back to to quite a basic unshaded uh shape and uh you know given that he's going to be drawing drawing it across 22 or so pages you know appearing several times on each each page you know make his life a little bit more uh, straightforward and I guess the page itself looking less busy he's also Zek is also drawing a 
uh, a rounded Snake Eyes mm. visor, which is not the same thing as the cover to issue 53, where it's more triangular. There's like a yeah, left yeah. side and a right side. And I do prefer the more triangular one. But again, man, whole issue of Zek, I'll take it. Uh, I wanted to hop back to one uh, one other color thing, um, like page five or six or seven, where uh, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow have jumped up in the air and slashed at each other, each and it with looks their like swords. a giant explosion. Yeah, and it looks like it looks like their swords are on fire, and like a grenade or like dynamite exploded between them. And this is one of those cases where I feel like a colorist is either not getting the script and sort of just coloring like kind of what they see without coloring what this shot actually calls for Mm. or exaggerating because color is exciting and I'm going to make color exciting. So um, in terms of exaggerating the moment, like all those kids down there, they're actually illuminated as if it's like an explosion of a grenade or dynamite or as if somehow slashing two swords against each other could make so many sparks that for a moment they're all illuminated from above. Mm. I think you can do some of that, but like this really just wants to be a flat yellow burst and, and the swords shouldn't look like they're on fire. They can look like, you know, they're like, they're sparks having, yeah. Um, we can borrow some of those sparks from the <laughs> the bottom of every G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra movie poster. This little like this little like orange glints. Anyway. I wonder um, what was on the I wonder <laughs> what was on the page here pre uh pre color as to, to yeah, what was being interpreted. Also the the ceiling, like this shot looks like it's outside. Mm. Yeah. Like that looks like a weird, like angry storm cloud nighttime sky. And you know, Zach and Beatty um, didn't draw like a grid for a ceiling or like lights. And I think this is one of those cases where it's up to the colorist to do less, not more. It's like, all right, I'm just going to make this uh, ceiling like dark gray or middle gray mm. because like these like clouds that are behind Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes, it's like, no, 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 no. That's not, don't draw focus away from the like awesome pose of them slashing each other and the actual burst and the burst shouldn't be a bigger deal than it is. And yet it is. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going on with that. I mean, it looks like they both have lightsabers or something, even in the next panel when uh snake eyes runs his sword through the video game. It's yeah. The trail. Yeah. It's a trail of fire. Like, they've hit their swords sure. against each other. So, so hard that it's creating an explosion and set, but their swords on fire. Sure and I don't know if I don't know if that would have been the intent of Blaylock <laughs> or or Zek, um, but but certainly is what's showing on the on the page, and it doesn't. That's not how swords work. Uh, speaking of not how swords work, on the next page, their swords shatter against each other, which is definitely something that when I was much younger I would have written into a cool ninja story, but not knowing anything about how swords are made except. Uh, the Zartan's origin in a real American hero. Like, no, swords don't, no, swords don't shatter against each other. Like, I get that as a visual, it's really dramatic and it accentuates just how hard they're slamming each other against Mm -hmm. each other. But it's also like baseball bats. It's like, let's pretend this was a baseball bat fight, right? It's like, no, one baseball bat wouldn't shatter the other and the itself. And that's just wood. Like, these are tempered steel, 
right? And again, Zartan's origin with making a very, very fancy sword. So cool, but that's like cool with a K and, a, and an exclamation mark. Uh, and that, that moment um, where their swords shatter against each other, like, yes, it motivates uh, Storm Shadow to then pull out daggers. So it changes the scale of the, and Storm Shadow, uh, Snake Eyes to pull out his dagger. It changes the, motive, the, the scope of the fight and it makes it even more personal, which is cool. Um, but uh, swords don't shatter against each other. Sorry. <laughs> Before we uh, wrap up, I want to do a quick I Spy. I Spy. Let's see what page. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Sorry, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Oh, it's okay. It's like at the end. Um, uh, I spy, Sorry. Just, just cut that. Uh, I Spy... Charles Costas, who is a G.I. Joe art collector. Uh, and I remember when I read this issue, um, once we're outside of the arcade, the, the left page where Billy's leaning against the car and there's a crowd having come out of the arcade, um, one of the people in the crowd has a very particular face and he's wearing yeah, a Punisher, Punisher shirt. Punisher shirt, yeah. And it doesn't look like how Zek draws random people in the crowd. And I remember mm. thinking, I don't know who this is, but this is someone. This is like... That's funny. This is like Zek's friend or something. That's Charles Costas, who is a G.I. Joe and Mike Zek art collector. The arcade has been named after him. You can't see it on this page, but in a previous page, the name is uh, on the sign. Yeah, Costas and, Corners Arcade. And I believe Costas owns all the art to this issue ah. or some of it. And I think he bought it at the time. Uh, and he had been buying Zek art for a long time before that. Yeah. So he did a, uh, he did a very interesting interview uh, with Felix Art, uh, which is worth a, a listen. I believe he was buying uh, covers direct from Mike Zek at the time uh, for about $50 a piece. Wow. Yeah, like, like in the 80s, right? Exactly, as they were coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ha- own, since I own a Zek cover, I can tell you it was not $50. <laughs> I like that one that you've got. You have the one uh, from the, the Lady J issue, right? Yeah, with the, on the motorcycle in the back. Yeah, I was looking at that one recently and just, man, the, the shading and, and everything on her, like on her shirt, when she's, how she's turned and the, 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 the angle that she's turned in is really nice. Really, The really sense of cover. menace. Mm-hmm. Um, any any wrap up thoughts from oh, the two I, of you? Yeah, I had a, an I spy as well. So I spy Dreadnought Burnout, who is the Which the Dreadnought who is the one who doesn't have a knuckle duster around his neck. He's he's the black guy with the dreads. That's right. Um, he. Oh, was, I was going to ask you guys if that was the character. I had seen a toy called Shadow Tracker or something like that, and I thought that might have been him. No, is this when have we when have so we seen he, Burnout? before i think i think this is his first appearance in the comics he was released oh. as part of the spy troop era in 2003 carded in a two-pack with chief torpedo oh cool hey uh you know storm shadow first appearance silent issue marvel 21 <laughs> and everyone remember everyone's everyone's seventh favorite dreadnought burnout seventh favorite. <laughs> first appearance devils do silent issue so there is another uh historical parallel <laughs> I, I like his costume and i i like uh i i like him as a dreadnought i'm you know uh i'm always hesitant on like later additions to a team like i don't love zanya at all mm-hmm. um i'm always hesitant to like later additions to the dreadnoughts because the original lineup even though it got pretty big is so 
um, iconic, but I, I do think Burnout's a cool design. Uh, shall we move on to Yo Joeage and capture our final thoughts there? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'll go. I'll go first. I'm not going first for a bit. Um, I uh, I'll do two the two issues t- together, which seems a bit unfair, but given how different the two two issues are, but but you know we're looking at them together as a, as a single arc. I enjoyed both of them for for different reasons. I was very impressed by Bado's uh, Bado's art. I thought it looked uh, great. I was uh, very impressed by um, Mike Zek's issue. Very different sort of uh, style style of art, but uh, but very impressive. I was yeah somewhat disappointed by a couple of the story beats. I didn't like the the Scarlet Tantrum, and I didn't quite like that that final page and the, the resolution and and understanding storm shadows motivations so, so that that was the kind of the, the two let down areas but but aside from that i enjoyed it an awful lot uh probably yeah probably my favorite of the devil's due run so far i will give it uh a let's go seven and a half maybe even eight seven and a half who wants to go next tim why not you um yeah i uh, same seven or eight i, I try not to give halves because i feel like that's just sort of overcomplicating it. I think on a on a generous day, this is an eight because like what a coup to get Zach to do a whole issue. Mm. Beto's art and the coloring in that issue, so much action uh, on a on a less you know. If I'm focusing on the the deficiencies, a seven, so seven or eight. Ironic uh, with this ending that we're not quite sure on that doesn't offer a lot of closure, considering that the story arc is called closure. Jay, <laughs> well, that drops at a point right there. Man, you know. I really like this one. I keep leaning towards uh, what am I going to give it? What am I going to give it? I don't want to go a nine because I think that's probably just a little too high yet. I got to go higher than Tim, though. I got to say 8.5. This two issue arc was probably my favorite that we've read so far. Um, Man, that first issue. I would love to have like even if he only did it twice a year, maybe four times a year would be great. If we could get remember the, the prestige format books like Mojo Mayhem. If we could get Bado to do a, a G.I. Joe, you know, one or two times a year, that's this good. Um, I'd be willing to pay five ninety five for that for sure. I mean, just the artwork is fantastic and really, really did a lot for me as far as uh, did, that first part was so strong. And you had a, a lot of really great story beats too. Cobra Commander shooting Billy. Just the story flowed really well, worked, worked really well for me. Yeah, really high. I'm going eight point five. My overall thought here, because I'm still seeing this in the scope of the previous 19 issues of, of Devil's Due, and I know I've been really hard on the Devil's Due series, right? And I, I know I get really cranky about comics, right? I make them, I sell them, I buy them, I talk about them, I teach them, I think about them all the time. I read a comic every day. The issue 20, this is what issue one should have been. Like oh, this, wow. this, if, this series if number one had came out and looked like number 20, this, the series should have been like that. The series should have been this good looking. Like, remember, we were we were we were commenting on the on the lettering, right? Like, yeah, like issue one should have had this much care. And if not issue one, then certainly like issue three. But but the Devils do series, um, you know, like it can do like story left turns and character introductions that i you know like changing bazooka kamakura is not my favorite but just in terms of like raw making comics um you know i'd have i'd have a very different relationship to the devil's due era 
if if the series had looked like this uh, in its first year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. Like I said, I would love to have been Blaylock and got uh, got the package that had those pages in it. I would just be like, oh my gosh, are you serious? And then the next issue is by Zek. And like we said, Zek's work wasn't as detailed, wasn't as flashy, but fundamentally very, very, very strong, very good, good storytelling. Yeah. I mean, they knocked these ones out of the park, I think. Really high. And if it weren't for like the Scarlet issue, uh, it probably would have got a, a nine or higher for me. Uh, excellent. So, so that was a good uh, discussion and longer than I expected, but that's all all fine. Um, so, so we don't have enough time for our normal segments. So, we'll cram those back in uh, next uh, next episode. And uh, and in our next disavowed discussion, we will be covering Devil's Due issue twenty two to twenty five, a four parter called The Last Stand, which spoilers builds on issue 16 with the return of Serpentor. It's, uh, you know, that feels like a big uh, spoiler from me, but he is on the front cover of issue 22. Um, So it's, uh, it's not me that's spoiling it. It's uh, the the art direction of the cover. Um, So, uh, so that will be uh, exciting. It's the big uh, build up and conclusion to the initial, 25 issue arc from blaylock four issues a lot of content there so so we'll have to be disciplined in in in, in making sure that we we fit it into a sensible running time um Oof, i don't know i'll set an egg timer <laughs> give myself three minutes to talk about this issue or that scene two minutes for that one um and list of criticisms yeah i mean i'm allotted so- yeah, sometimes it's the inverse, and when so much happens, it's easier to kind of gloss over the the detail of it and and sort of just talk about the the sweeps. But anyway, over back on the uh, regular show, we'll continue to cover the latest ARA issues as they come out. Uh, so that's the continuation of the murder by assassination arc from Larry Hammer with art from Andrew Griffiths. And uh, yeah, watch out for any bonus shows like the sketchbook shows that uh, we have as well. So guys, where can people find you? Jay, if they want to see uh, some of your doodling, uh, where would they look? Break Room Sketches on Facebook. Excellent. And Tim, I imagine that you've got a website tucked away somewhere that you don't like to talk about. A realamericanbook.com. Excellent. Keeping up to date with regular, fascinating blog posts uh, there, as as well as the archive that stretches back many years. And you can find us in the usual places. Talkingjoe.co.uk is the website that has links to all of those places that include Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and contact details. We are also on Patreon. A big thanks to all of our backers, Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher and Justin, who are all getting early access to episodes as well as exclusive content. And that leaves us to just say that when all is said and done, you can catch us down the road. Because we've been talking Joe. And we're all out of Joes. Laters. You guys don't want to go to three hours?